anyone who was brave enough to see Friday the 13th on Friday the 13th and they will tell you they were terrified over and over and over and over. The 12th, the 13th, Friday the 13th. We dare you to see this film all over London and in the West End. Your Fright Day will be the day you're brave enough to see Friday the 13th. Certificate X. Laughing again. <laughs> What's wrong with that mule? <laughs> Dumb broke down, dude. Dumb broke down. There's this uh, obscure. <laughs> live. <laughs> live. Live version. There's this obscure uh, recording of Muddy Waters. Yeah. Uh, playing a set. Playing a set somewhere. And you would find this for like $2 on CD. It was like a public domain. Nobody probably knew, had the rights yeah, to it. You're in your local grocery store and you're looking through the CDs. And for 2 or three ninety nine, you'd have this. And you, you think it's like a gold best of collection until you look at the back. Yeah, yeah. And it says recorded, you know, live from what blow Joe, whatever. And, you know. And But the whole thing is that like Dizzy Gillespie. Yeah, he comes on <laughs> later on in the set. <laughs> and is and Muddy, Muddy, yeah, Muddy invites Dizzy up and they do like Kansas City. Dude, they do a couple songs. And maybe yeah. Dizzy, does Dizzy might even sing Kansas City on it. And back in the day, uh, you you would go to the grocery, like you said, someplace like the grocery store, and you'd find like these weird, like Rat Pack. Yeah. Like Sinatra and the Rat Pack. Live in Chicago. <laughs> or like Dean Martin live somewhere. Yeah. Like these weird, like fifty. <laughs> yeah, or even like it's strawberries or coconuts, wherever that CD store is, if you look at their like $5 yeah. bin. Like the, we're going to throw these out if you don't buy them. Yeah. <laughs> and, I, and, and that's where I found the Rat Pack CD. I was at, at the grocery store one late one night, and I was like, this is live at the wherever it was in Chicago, and, the, and it's one of the best Rat Pack recordings I've ever heard. And so there's this one song, and I've never heard this song other than on this CD. No, I, I've never heard it either. I mean, but Muddy was doing it live. So they had to have But it. I've never heard it on any other live Muddy recording. Or, or a studio version of yeah. it. Yeah. So it's just, what's the matter with the mule? Dumb broke down. Dumb broke down. I, I, I know, what is it? Dion, you know verse from it. Yeah, it goes, break, us, a, break us off a little. What's it go? It goes, <laughs> uh, got a little musical interlude. What's he saying? He goes, I... I I've never known a preacher to steal, and I found one in my own cornfield. What's the matter with that mule? Dumb broke down. What's the matter with that mule? Dumb broke down. I don't remember the hook. <laughs> but that's kind of the hook. Down. Is the, the guy, Muddy no. says, what's the matter with the mule? And, and the, then somebody the, else in the, the band member, dumb broke down. And, and, and then he says all these different things about, you know, uh, catching a you know a preacher in his field. I'm sure he's, what is he, stealing corn or he's stealing something in the field? Dumb broke down. Dumb, dumb, what's dumb what's the matter with that mule? Dumb broke down. <laughs> what's the matter with that mule? Dumb broke down so there's this obscure recording of some song that we've only ever heard one version of yeah and it is maybe the most quoted thing that Dion and I do yeah. in our personal lives. Aside from <laughs> when we're way, together. Aside from Way Down the Alley. Way Down the Alley. Which people Which is another know. blues reference. Yeah, which is B.B. Uh, King and Bobby Bland, just uh, one of their live albums. And they're like, we're going to go way down the alley. And they're going to play stuff from like their days in the 50s on uh, uh, Beale Street in Memphis, maybe? Yeah. From those days when they were like recording on they're radio. Way Down the Alley. Way Down the Alley. And uh, uh, so the two things we quote most are these blues recordings, but I find the Muddy Waters one hilarious because it's like nobody knows it. Yeah. And 
it's a it's a significant recording too because like you said <laughs> it's the only time to my knowledge that you have like Dizzy Gillespie who's you know jazz, jazz guy yeah and so you rarely get a jazz guy and a blues guy come you know and they invite Dizzy he goes like come on bring Dizzy Dizzy come up here Dizzy Gillespie and they, they, he plays with them and and I think that's the version too that they. They intro muddy as muddy Mississippi waters, you know what I mean? Like yeah, the yeah. guy comes up muddy Mississippi water, you know. So it's 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 quite a legendary recording for not for like fans to to know there was this you know DC and Marvel crossover of you know, <laughs> of, of you know yeah, yeah. of music genres of muddy waters, you know, who they would say king of the electric blues in Chicago and Dizzy Gillespie, who was a very renowned trumpet player, yeah. crossing over and. Uh, but uh, and just, meeting at this club one night for whatever time this set it could have been an eight o'clock or ten o'clock set, yeah. and uh, you know Muddy does his regular thing and I'm sure he does like Hoochie Coochie Man on there sure and, sure but it's and just Baby Please uh, Don't Go and whatever but else it's this the set weird was. recording that not a lot of people know I mean maybe blues I'm sure there's blues guys like blues fans yeah well, that have found this because they're fans of Muddy Waters yeah. but nobody no, no, layman, the that. <laughs> no layman knows it what's and the name of the nobody song? else that you and I know no Aaron it. knows it. Yeah, but I don't know if he, if you said what's the matter with the oh, mule, he may not be able to answer. I don't think the I don't think Aaron would say don't vote. <laughs> yeah, uh, it's a kid we went where, to college with. Whereas you and I say this on a regular because I think I first heard that recording in his car. Yeah, probably. Yeah, he had it because he was a big Muddy Waters guy, and then I went on to find it like at a grocery store. We both yeah. did, um, and. I, yeah, I don't even know what the name of that song is called. Is no, it called Dawn Broke Down? It could be called like Preacher's Blues or something. Yeah, yeah. Who they knows? They just add blues to the end of the title, you know? <laughs> Mud is Blues or something. So if you ever hear us say Dawn Broke Down, Dawn Broke, like what's the, the matter begin- with that? Like you'll, the beginning of this podcast. Dawn Broke Down. You'll know uh, um, that it's this weird yeah. reference that only Dion and I cherish. Yeah, yeah, I found one of my own cool for you. Ah, yeah, that's uh, that's, that's it the end of it for this very special. <laughs> yeah, Friday the Thirteenth <laughs> edition of uh, of Saturday Night Movie Sleepovers. That was our uh, Friday the Thirteenth edition. Um, but Dad, it's hot in here tonight. Yeah, it's hot. It's hot as a. We don't have that fan on again. No, no, we're uh, we're now in the crawl space because we've been evicted from every other <laughs> place and we're under, the, we're under the house. Yeah, we're under the house. <laughs> Blake's parents' house. They don't have a proper basement. They have a crawl space. So at the shore house. Yeah, yeah this, there's yeah. no basement in the shore house. Yeah, so we're like you know we got about four feet here. So we're sitting. We're both sitting Indian style in the dirt. In the dirt, you know, and we got like some pool floats and some we're, stuff. Where over the here. dog goes to die? Yeah, and we've also got the uh, where the dog goes to die. Well, they always say like the dog goes under the porch. That's a shame. Or whenever because like dogs go off to die, die alone. Oh my god! By themselves, you never heard that. No, I mean I, I have, but that's so sad. That's where if we had a dog, it would go down in the pool. This would be. This is where it would it choose to be. Uh, and we've had to run like an extension cord for Edison Power to get over here to plug us in. So we got one clip light here. Drill a hole through the yeah through the, the floor <laughs> <laughs> into the kitchen. Turns into a horror movie. You're going to the linoleum. But this is a very exciting Friday the Thirteenth. Not only are we in. To the okay, let's break it down. Not only are we into the Saturday night movie sleepovers, horror, October horror <laughs> month of extravaganza. Yeah, we are also lucky enough. Happens to have the serendipitousness of it is that we happen to have a th- Friday thirteenth on a Friday in October. In October. So during Saturday Night Movie Sleepovers, October month of horrors, ho- Halloween <laughs> extravaganza. Yeah, is, that, is that the official name? 
tra- we're going to trademark that. <laughs> trademark. Yeah, we try to do a, a Twitter of that, and we, we can't even get it all out. <laughs> you know, boy, that's 160 takes, characters. Takes up the whole character. Yeah. Whole character. What the hell they say? We, and we hashtag that, and it's all one word. People can't even read it. <laughs> hell are they trying to say here? Is this a mistake? <laughs> gibberish. Uh, yeah, it's gibberish. Um, so what brings us here? Oh, it's Friday the 13th. Friday the 13th. Yeah, so we figured to ourselves, we said to ourselves, we said self. Said selves. What would be a good movie to do on Friday the 13th? It's going to be in October. That's going to drop on Friday the 13th. And uh, ourselves said, well, guys. <laughs> <laughs> we're a little, you can tell uh, going into this, we're punch drunk. It's, uh, we're sweating balls. I've, I've got a white shirt on and my, my, my pits are brown. And, yeah. And uh, I'm wearing my flannel pajamas for yeah, some reason. I don't know why your mom packed your flannel pajamas. <laughs> <laughs> I'm wearing my tidy whiteies, and you can see I'm too hot for October. Yeah. yeah, it's just terrible. And we're sitting in here, and um, luckily, I don't know, is, is your mom's not here, right? They just gave us the keys, or they just, but they just told us to record in the <laughs> in the crawl space. Yeah, they're not home, but for <laughs> they, some reason, we decided to. They had to go down, down here. here. Yeah, this is when we were little. We used to come play army down here with the little green men. We'd uh, oh yeah. We'd go down here and we'd set it up because no one would bother us. We can make on the dirt and stuff like that. That's a little hint to next week's podcast, but we're not going to tell anybody. Army men, army men, yeah, army men. Uh, so we're down here in the crawl space. Uh, it's like we're hiding out. So we saw that Friday the Thirteenth was coming up. Yeah, and, well, months uh, ago, right? Yeah, we're like, there's going to be a Friday the Thirteenth in October. It's like a sooner, a sooner, a sol- solar or lunar eclipse. We're like, well, that's just. We have to take advantage of it. Yeah. Um, now, I, I was a little dumbfounded earlier this week when I found out that my whole life of being friends with Dion. <laughs> Uh-oh. The Dion's, Dion's horror movie series is the Friday the 13th series. It has been, yeah, since you've known me. Yeah, for as long as I've known Dion. For 20-plus years. Now. Yeah, now it's 20-plus. It used to be just 20 years, now it's 20-plus. It used to be almost 20. Now we're past then August. Then it was 20. <laughs> now it's 20-plus years I've known Dion. Yeah. Uh, Dion has been a, a big supporter of the Friday the 13th genre. What was yours? Is yours Halloween? I don't really have one. Yeah. If I had to pick one, I guess maybe I'd pick Halloween. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I don't. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I, I don't really have one. I get when I was a kid, I, I really liked the Chucky movies. Well, there you go. I was. How many of them are there? Well, now there's. Yeah, there used to be about two or three like back when we were little. Five or six yeah. now. Cause they're just there's a new one coming out. We're getting up there. But uh, that and I, I was, I guess, the night I like the Nightmare on Elm Street movies. But I, I never had like one specific series. But uh, Dion was a big Jason fan, and so I thought. He would be uber excited to be doing Friday the 13th. Yeah. I'm <laughs> Dion's, the 13th. Dion's lucky number is 13. Yes, I was born on the 13th. And, Ides of March. And uh, so we were talking about, like, what else are we going to do this month? And Dan's like, yeah, I could take a leave Friday the 13th. <laughs> yeah, because we... we uh, I was like, what? This is, you have a statue of Jason. I do have a statue. It's in a pretty your, sweet statue. In your living room. It's a pretty sweet statue as well. And uh, it correlates with this movie. Um, yeah, because... We, and we went to the store and we bought the McFarlane figures. We did. We bought the Leatherface and Jason. We bought each other... <laughs> We, we didn't want to spend the money on ourselves, so we, so we bought them for each other at the same time. And we just and then we handed them in the car. We got into the car, and we switched bags, and that was it. And we got that. Yeah, and that Jason is, figure looked awesome. Yeah, and this was our this was my series, and I had I did a model, and the model was off of Jason Goes to Hell, 
but it's still a pretty sweet model. It's him with the machete over his head, a vinyl model. Um, and uh, yeah, because you know what? What happens is we have so much we want to do. And we're doing four horrors this month, so it's like we're trying to figure out. We, we you think we have f- a lot with four, but then we come to the table with like a yeah. half a dozen picks. So that's why it was kind of like this was not forced upon us, but it's because it's like an eclipse. We had to take advantage. We had of to do it, you know. So that's why I was like, I could take it or leave it, but we have to do it because we're here. So what better way of? Yeah, I thought he was going to be excited about it. I'm just checking to see we're recording. Like last week in the gate. <laughs> We, we did it, the entire cast and we didn't record yeah. it, so we are recording. Um, so then the next monumental task was out of the 24 Jason movies they've done, yeah. which one do we do? And, and uh, I was like, oof. Yeah, I was like, which one do you want to do? And I was like, this is your territory. Yeah, this is a very contentious uh, honestly, argument. Honestly, like, full disclosure uh, to our listeners. I don't even have an opinion. <laughs> I don't... <laughs> I don't even have an opinion. I, this is never my series. Yeah, yeah. Like I never, I have, I still to this day have not even seen all of them. All right, well, we're gonna have to do a sleepover. Um, so I was like, I mean, I had seen the bulk of them. And, yeah, uh, but they all start to blend into one too. Yeah. So you I know? was like, this is your territory. You need man. to pick it. You got to pick it. I mean, if we were gonna be like, you know, pick a. Michael Myers. A mo- Myers. <laughs> yeah. If we would pick a movie about you know where girls play sports. Then that would be my turn. Yeah. <laughs> and you know what to do. I'm like, well, we got we got bring it on, we got stick it, we got blue crush, we got lots of things to choose from. Yeah, yeah. But uh, that would be more my territory. But if we're gonna pick Jason related movies. We're doing we're doing the Jason that's series. That's more your uh, cup of tea. And our, our our original notion was to just binge them all. Yeah. Just do do all ten or eleven of them and then do this the entire series, the, t- the T V series. <laughs> Until we realized that the series really had nothing to do with the, the franchise except for the name. And then we, we then we were getting really excited to do that. And then we realized maybe last minute, maybe that's not the best idea we ever had. Because that would be hard to, to do a sleepover where we... And then we were like, what do we do? Do we do a commentary where we just hit record and do eight hours of... And we splice them all together and we yeah. just keep... Re- you just keep recording and then you're like, we're like, we're taking the disc out, we're putting the new disc in. <laughs> Marathon. The laser disc and then we're still with us. Why are we for the menu? Or we live stream it, you know, or I don't know. So we came to the idea where we would pick one. And then the next ta- task was, like we just said, which one do we do? So I've always been a fan of... Friday the 13th, this, the, the, the series, the movie series, because uh, we're getting into a, a little more of the inside baseball. Growing up, on a Saturday night, we, uh, my mom, would she would work nights as a nurse, so she'd go to work and work 11 to 7, so she'd leave the house about you know, 8, 9, 10 o'clock, and my dad would just be getting home from work. He worked 3 to 11, second shift for the railroad. So on a Saturday, he'd get home a little earlier. He'd kiss my mom hello and goodbye, and she'd go off to work. So we used to have this little semi-ritual where on a Saturday night, Dom DeLuise would come on. He had this show, this barbershop show, which was great. I still remember the theme, too. And he was a barber on the show, and he had a little street. And that would be just the MacGuffin to get, like, Burt Reynolds to come by, Charles Durning to come by. And then I, I don't know what the premise of the show was. Maybe they'd just BS and joke or whatever. So we'd watch that, and then my dad would be like, hey, you want to make some pasta and i'd be like yeah we're gonna have like a late night meal so it became this thing where my mom would go off to work my dad would cook some pasta and we'd like you know bring it into the tv room which was like scandalous get to t- break out the tv tables and we'd sit there and watch like dom de louise and that was also a night where i caught that roddy piper show that came and went with the guy billy blanks 
Oh yeah, yeah you know yeah. I saw that one night and and for like, that was a movie. Was that a movie? Yeah, then that's probably my that's probably where I for th- years after that I would Saturday night switch search the airwaves trying to find out what show that's on and that probably wasn't a show. My ass, it was probably like a <laughs> it was probably like what a pilot that they did a movie and they never picked it up. So I was always trying to for the next couple of years find that show. Like it's got to be on somewhere. I saw it. One I mean, night. unless they tried to make a show out of it but there was like a canon style movie at least one where they they were teamed up together and i saw that on a saturday night so we had hbo at the time and one of these nights in 1986 or 80 i guess it'd be 87 or so uh after whatever we were watching on a saturday night was over my dad flipped the channel and we caught right at the beginning the opening for uh, Friday the 13th Part 5, The New Beginning. And it's like, you know, right where the hockey mask and it's like that really awesome opening titles. And we watch the unedited HBO, you know, run of that thing. And that was the my probably my first exposure to like serious slasher movie horror. Yeah. So the fifth one was the, the fifth one. Was the first. Yeah. And it scared the bejesus out of me because then right after the movie ends, uh, if people remember, they used to have HBO fights. So the boxing was on right afterward. And my dad's like, all right, off to bed. I want to watch the fights. I go up to bed. I can't turn the lights out. I have my lights on. I'm sitting there like on my bed like, holy fucking shit. And, and the fifth one, a uh, whole bunch of people get killed. At the end of the movie, spoiler alert, it's not Jason. It's just the ambulance driver yeah, yeah. scared the but shit out of me. But it also like the highest kill count yeah, in the series, it, right? At least up to that point. Yeah, I mean, it is, and there's tits everywhere. So, I mean, it's just like, it's 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 like basically the, the, the filmmaker said he basically went and did a porno in the woods because the director yeah. was a porno director and he segued into movies and he made this thing. And there's just nudity left and right. There's, there's such hardcore kills where they had to like every kill they had to like cut back so they wouldn't get an X rating. Yeah. Well, that so seems th- to be a recurring thing, which we'll get into later. Yeah. So there's really gruesome. So I was scared shitless. And I remember coming down like a half hour later and my dad's like, what are you doing? Still up? Or maybe an hour later. Cause he's watching the bottom. I was like, I can't sleep. So it became the ambulance driver. Yeah, gonna, <laughs> gonna kill me. I've seen enough Scooby doo's where it's the ambulance driver's going to come and kill you. So with any child, you're, you're, what you're scared of becomes your morbid fascination. Yeah. Not a fascination, but what you gravitate towards. Yeah. So that was my intro into Jason Voorhees. So when the f- next movie came out, part six, which is this one we're doing tonight, Jason Lives, I caught it as soon as it came on cable or in video form. And that was one of the first movies that I had. We, we talked about my first sleepover in 87 being with my friend Martin and we watched Predator for the first time. Mm-hmm. The first time I ever had two people sleep over. My friend Martin and then... Up the ante. Yeah, then the kid up the street, Jeff Craig. The sequel. Uh, he came over and it was the first time my parents were like, okay, you're gonna have two friends sleep over. I think we can do this. All right, you can have two friends sleep over. We rented this one, Jason. Um, we rented this in RoboCop. And that was when we talked earlier this year about the RoboCop was the night where like the scene with his hand, I had, I went oh, yeah, myself to the bathroom. That, story, yeah. that was from this night too. Uh, either this, if, if we, if we watched them back to back or we watched them two separate nights, but we watched Jason lives part six. And since then, I've always been a fan of in the Jason chronologic or catalog five, six, and seven. And then eight's funny goes to Manhattan. That's really cool. And that's like 88 maybe. You know, I remember like runs into the Muppets. Yeah. Because right? they're taking Manhattan <laughs> yeah. around oh, that time. Yeah, yeah. 
and he's the one that, a lot of people don't know that he's the one who gives Kermit amnesia and, you know, and that's why Kermit amnesia because he's running away from Jason Voorhees uh, that's a weird crossover you know and I remember I used to watch the Arsenio Hall show and I remember the night Jason came on the Arsenio Hall show to promote Jason Takes Manhattan and uh, you know, I remember that being in the theater my dad's friend John who you know talent, we're all, we were going to the movies we're driving on the highway to the movie theater where you and I saw like Psycho in okay the remake of yeah Psycho. the remake and he's telling us about like you know there's this toxic waste and you gotta you know he's explained to us the plot of Jason Takes Manhattan you know I remember that in the car and we're all like listening like wow that's really cool so like my and then after eight Paramount sells the franchise off to New Line, and New Line does Jason Goes to Hell, Jason X, and I never was a real big fan of those. I didn't really like Jason Goes to Hell at all because it's not really him in the movie. It's like this weird being leech thing that it Jason becomes other people, like his spirit inhabits other people, yeah, yeah. and you know, and then you don't really get you know, and he looks kind of different. He's 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 very different from this series. So I've always been a fan of five, six, seven, and kind of eight, and and also I always loved how he looked in those movies, particularly like seven and eight. Seven he looks, and I have the statue in my house that you've seen, which is maybe the um, I forget the name of the 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 franchise, but it's an earlier version of the ones that those people do now, where they buy the awesome for like three hundred dollars, those anatomically correct. Like you know, Bruce Lee, Joker, yeah, yeah, yeah. limited edition. I think it's um, oh, I forget the name of that. It's on the tip of my tongue. Whoever does those, um, but it's it was an earlier version of that. But mine is made out of like stone or it's like a ceramic, and it's him at the bottom of the ocean is my statue. Yeah, floating. Yeah, we'll put a link in the of, of the of a picture of it, and it's really cool. And it was the first time I saw it. You know, so when I saw it, I had to get it and I bought it. And then like you know, now it's kind of weird. It's just it's in my you know your. To my living room, and I have this real morbid statue of Jason hanging there. You <laughs> it's know? like pictures of Hazel. Yeah, Hazel. <laughs> and, Hazel, Charlie Chan, and stuff. And then you have Jason there, you know, in Columbo. And, and uh, like family photos. Yeah, and, 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 and mixed Jack Benny and Telly Savalas up on the wall. Uh, so, this one has always been like the funnest one for me because when I got into it, this was like it. This was like I was along for the ride. As we've noticed, it's it, we'll talk about it's different from the other yeah. ones. Probably It probably is like the most fun. Yeah, and I think it in the lore, in the anals, as we like to say, yes. of, of, of the Jason history, this is the one where you hit the peak. It's like a roller coaster ride going up, 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 up. And when you hit six, you're at the top before you're about to come flying down. And, yeah, yeah. You know, and seven's a really good movie. Eight kind of, I think, jumps the shark, a lot of people would say. So... This is six is kind of poking fun at itself, but I didn't know that when I was little. I just sure. I was I was along for the ride because it was fun. There's other unique things about this one. There's this is the only one that has no nudity in the entire uh, out of the franchise. This is the I think the shortest as well. It only like clocks in it with like 86 minutes or 87 minutes. Um, so I th- and it also kind of resets the franchise after the disappointment of five. So when we were thinking of which one to do, and you said the 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 laborious task and I had to go home and think for a day. I had to call out sick from work. <laughs> I know. Dion was... I was just contemplating. I had to incognito. go... I had to go like get some opium and become an opium addict, you know, and, and, and hide for weeks on end thinking about this kind of thing. And I was like, you know... I finally, I was like, Dion, chasing the dragon. Your, and then finally I was like, Dion, which one's your favorite? I was like, that's a good point. And, <laughs> and he's like, six. I was like, let's, let's do, do that six. <laughs> Because I have such an affinity for five. But, but my point was... We're getting into blasphemy here because a lot of hardcore Friday the Thirteenth fans hate Five. Yeah, but I actually love Five, and I think Five's like a horrifying movie, and people don't like it because of the twist at the end. Mm-hmm. That it's kind of like a, it's kind of like 
I'm sure there's another example in other horror films. Oh, it's kind of like Season of the Witch, where people go to it thinking you're going to see Michael Myers, and all you get to see is like a shot of Michael Myers on the TV. Yeah, yeah you're talking you about know, Halloween three. Halloween three. So, so I I feel like it's not as much of a of of a uh, bait and switch as that, but you have Jason in the movie in five, and he's doing some crazy stuff. Uh, a lot of the kills are, are you don't even see Jason physically doing it, or Jason's showing up like. Uh, uh, Tommy Jarvis is looking at himself in the mirror and he sees Jason in the mirror and he turns around and he's not there. You get a lot of that shit, like yeah, visions, yeah. which blend over into the opening of six. So when you have, at the end, the reveal is that it's not, in fact, Jason. It's this disgruntled, crazy ambulance driver getting revenge on these kids for killing his, his chubby son, his chubby, mentally uh, challenged son that he kind of pawned off to like a halfway house. Uh, people were pissed and upset. So that was another reason why Paramount went the way they did with this movie and, and how it was kind of re uh, rebooted in the way it did. And then you have six come out. So I think when you were even talking to Michael, Mike Vanderbilt, right? Our friend over at um, in our Chicago daily grindhouse, daily grindhouse and other things. Yeah. Um, right. For the AV club. When, when you were getting a little inside baseball, of what we were going to do this year, he, you said we were going to do a Friday the 13th movie because oh, we of... we do 21 Pot Street together. Yes, exactly. <laughs> so you guys talk a lot uh, on your own, and we were talking about... You guys were talking about what, yeah. you know... The, uh, Mike is probably listening to this. Uh, he's a listener and was a big supporter of the show. Yeah. And uh, we become become friends. Uh, and so, as a listener, Mike likes to sometimes... Uh, try to get some inside information of course <laughs> so going who, on who wouldn't want to you know what i mean <laughs> and i said and he was asking what we we're going to do for october and i said i don't we don't know and me and blake are very secretive we yeah. don't even talk to our significant others if we had any of what we do i don't tell my dog what we're doing and he's like Rrr. you know so it's like we we, we really for some for some reason it's early like oscars on, we, we, we only show each other we write stuff on, on, on index cards it's, it's in code yeah uh, so Mike, and so asks, Mike was yeah. asking what we're going to do for October, the uh, Saturday Night Movie Sleepovers October, and this was months month, ago, month right? Of horrors, yeah. It was maybe in August, yeah, in the summer. And I said, I don't know. We haven't decided what we're going to do yet, but there is a Friday the Thirteenth in October this year. So as the chances are, er- ergo, <laughs> we'll probably do a Friday the Thirteenth movie. Now, Mike is a big Friday the Thirteenth fan. Yes, I think Mike might even have like a. Friday the 13th tattoo. Yes. I don't know for sure. That is dedication. <laughs> I can't say that for sure, uh, but Mike also... Mike, if you have it, why don't you tweet it to us right now as you're listening, and we can now see on the Twitters if you're comfortable with that. And if you don't, then tell us that you don't. Yeah. Or if you do, if you don't want to share the tweet, tell us where it is in the body, because maybe it's <laughs> maybe the hockey mask is in a weird position that <laughs> you can't show anything else. But Mike also uh, wrote, uh, he interviewed Tom McLaughlin, the interview the director, director of, of this, this movie, movie for fangoria magazine who we've brought up on the podcast before but we'll get to later and uh so mike was asking and he's like well which one do you guys think you're gonna do and i was like i don't know but i know that dion's favorites are like five and six and he, mike was like five <laughs> yeah see and, that, and that's the, the my point where people hardcore fans are like five why the fuck would you want to do five and he the was, new beginning and i was like well which ones would you do and he was like i'd probably do six or seven yeah maybe he said four six or seven yeah i think he said because four is I'd a big four favorite. six or seven four, four is cory fellman frank zito tom savini comes back to the series crispin glover four is probably yeah. my favorite yeah. of the series of the ones i've 
I'm 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 most familiar with. That's probably my favorite of the series. But uh, so he said four, six, or seven, and we ended up doing six, yeah. as you can see. And uh, we're doing 1986, Friday the 13th, Part Six. Jason not 87, everyone. So not relax. 87. We're not, but it, but I, I probably saw it in 87. That's I true. saw it in 87 at a sleepover because this was probably my second sleepover with the, with the, the two lads. I got Martin to come over. I got Jeff to come over. So it counts. So yeah, so it counts. <laughs> and uh, you know, and I remember really being into it at the time. And I was, you know, and you think about from see, it's two different things for me. Seeing five. In being so like traumatized by seeing the unedited version of Five on HBO, with like this. I, I mean, have you seen Five recently? I've never. I don't know if I've ever seen all of Five in general. Like, there's crazy shit. There's a scene like where there's like a, there's a there's like these two hermits living in the woods, and it's a mother and son, and like the mother's like making something in the house, and she's yelling at her husband, son, and he's mad at night, so he's on his moped going around like having a temper tantrum on a dirt bike, and she's like, get in the house. He's like, I'm not going to mind. He's driving him. And then, it's like, and then like suddenly while that's happening, it's so loud because he's on his moped or dirt bike, you know, suddenly a machete comes out and decapitates him as he goes by. And then, yeah, like and then, yeah, and then the bike stops and mom's like, you know, son, where are you, son? And then like, you know, she gets killed. So, and then there's shit in the we woods. do that one as a radio play. Yeah, that'd be great. <laughs> And then there's stuff where like a one man show. And there's like with a, Dion Vine. <laughs> yeah, he does everything. It's, forget um, new Forget Hal Holbrook doing Mark Twain or Val Kilmer doing the one man show with Mark Twain. I'm gonna tour the country doing Friday the Thirteenth. Everyone's least favorite part five. The new beginning. And Dion plays everybody. And Blake Blake can MC it, but I'll play everybody. Yeah, Dion will play everybody. I'll because if I need a moment him. to go have some water, Blake <laughs> well, will come gonna out. I'm going to direct it. Yeah, exactly. So, Dion, we need more out of you. <laughs> Here are your notes. We need more out of you. We need more empathy. Um, so, you need to be affected. So, uh, and then there's another scene in that five where, like, there's two girl, two people making out. And uh, it's and this girl's topless in the movie, mm-hmm. and this has been. I'm not trying to sound sexual, misogynistic, or sexist, but a lot of people say that you know this woman has the best bust ever in a horror movie. Yeah, yeah. Well, and she was like a playmate or something. Yeah, I, I mean, and and you know, full disclosure, Voorhees. I mean, her last name's Voorhees. It might even be Voorhees. Yeah, and she's absolutely gorgeous, and and they're right. You know, the bust she's is very nice. Got a nice. Yeah, she's very well asset. endowed. And uh, she gets killed by like uh, hedge clippers to the eyeballs. He sticks them in and goes, you know, cuts the the, the bone Bridge between the, the optic nose, bone. Yeah. yeah. And then the next scene, like uh, when the when the boyfriend who went, went to take a shit or piss in the woods comes back to find her, he walks back. He gets like a, a leather strap or belt around a tree and in turn so that like around his eyes, so he gets like his head crushed. So it's like all these terrifying deaths. Yeah. You know. So for that to for that movie to be so hardcore, so with the nudity and the profanity and the violence, and then you come to this movie, I was ready. And this movie's kind of different, where it's, I'm not going to say more intelligent, but it's it's playing on a different level. Yeah. That it's a you, different, it's coming from, it's coming at the, it's coming at the series from a different Completely angle. different animal in an angle. So it's really interesting to see where they go, and, it, and this kind of saves the franchise, because if I bet you, if this movie bombed, they might not. They this might not have gotten a couple sequels for the next couple of years. And I believe that this was. I mean, it, it was successful, but it was the the lowest grossing of the series up to that point. Five or six. Six. Okay. Five did really well because people went to see it 
not knowing what yeah. it was. And, and, <laughs> and it was getting a lot of great reviews. Yeah, people... It, so, they, so they went to see it not knowing that they were going to be disappointed. But because of the fifth one, because of being disappointed by the fifth one, people were not... They were a little hesitant to go see the sixth one. They had the reservations. So unfortunately, I think up to that point anyway, six was the lowest grossing. Yeah. And the last thing about five is the hockey mask in that has got... He's got blue... Uh, you know, marks on the hockey yeah. mask, like in real life, but in the flat, but in the in the mirrors, it's red. So, yeah. so to indicate that Tommy Jarvis is seeing Jason, Jason, and, and in his visions in his head, you're having uh, it's the red, it's the hockey it's mask with Jason, the red, yeah. But in real life, it's and, not and that's a, a sleight of hand. Where in the movie, when you see the guy dressed up as Jason, you think it's Jason, but he's got the blue, and it's you know, people may not know they discontinued that hockey mask, so like. They, they, the guy couldn't find the red that one. Model. Yeah, and that's see, <laughs> so, so you could only find the blue, the blue you, you know, you go back to the beginning. It never until six. Six kind of made the standard of what the hockey mask is going to look like. Six really, yeah, put tent poles into the industry were or into well, the we franchise. Talked about when we did Nightmare on Elm Street Part Three, Dream Warriors earlier this year, uh, earlier in 2017, we talked about how this is where the series kind of catches its stride. Like yeah. this, Freddy's going to, this, Freddy looks different in one and two than he does in three. But the way Freddy looks in three is the way Freddy's going to look through the rest of the series. Yeah. Uh, so that's what's happening here. It took a little longer for yeah. Friday yeah, the 13th to, find, to find it. You know, because the first movie, uh, first of all, we're this, I've already spoiled five for you. We're going to spoil the fuck out of the yeah. series for you, people. Yeah. So if you haven't seen them all, I hope... I'm sorry. Turn this <laughs> off and go watch some of them because we have to spoil it to talk about it. We don't take uh, pleasure in spoiling this for you. <laughs> uh, it's actually kind of disappointing to find out that you haven't seen it and then we're going to spoil it for you because that may give you motivation not to go see the movie. But you start with the first movie. The first movie ends up being his mom is yeah. is the killer, Betsy Palmer. I actually would like to set the table a little bit yeah. with, with the first one. Just a, just a hair. We're not going to you know go through all the backstories too much of what's going on in, in the No, but we can get ones. into a little adjacent. But I think it's... The character. <clears throat> I think it's important to just put in context that Sean Cunningham uh, and kind of his protege, Steve Miner, they had produced... Uh, Sean Cunningham had produced Wes Craven's Last House on the Left, but Cunningham in the 70s, he had done some soft porn and he had done some like family movies that I hadn't seen, but judging from like the posters and stuff, look like trying to capitalize like on Bad News Bears kind of stuff. And before you go any further, th- this is a, uh, a legitimate thing at the time where in the 70s and 80s when porn got its heyday, a lot of directors would moonlight on both sides of the aisle like the guy who directed part five he was a porn director and he came over and did some mainstream stuff we have the actor who i forget his name who shows up in night of the creeps and is in uh a couple other movies we you know the the guy that was almost cast in greece as the uh in the sid caesar yeah. part so this was a, a normal thing for people to go do some porn maybe sure. on the side a lot of the you know even didn't wes craven maybe do a porn wes movie? craven i don't know if he directed but he worked on porn movies you know stallone was in a porn movie that i don't know if he i forget if do you, is, it, probably, is he full nude in that movie i think he might see his his fiend but i don't know his fiend <laughs> his junk <laughs> Yeah, I haven't seen that. Yeah, movie so that you really have a time. lot of this. This they, 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 it was very blurred. Bill lines. Lustig, who directed Maniac, who we did a cast, we did a Maniac episode uh, a few years ago. He got his start working in the porn industry. And there's a lot well. of porn actresses show up in Maniac as playing like bit roles. Yeah, it was kind of common practice. Uh, 
Because it was, it was still you make film a living. Industry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. And it was also experience. I work, I, it's funny. I work with a lot of, uh, well, not a lot of guys. I work with a couple of guys now who've been in the industry who are like my parents' age who are about to retire. This guy, Howie, who worked on Morton Downey Jr. And he's got a big funny stories about working on the Morton Downey Jr. show. But he talks about when he got into the industry in the 70s, he worked on a couple of pornos. He's like, I was a lighting guy. And it's <laughs> this, he's this little Jewish guy that's like, you know, five foot three. And he's like, yeah. you know, I'm up on a ladder holding the, the D-light so it don't fall and these people are sucking each other off and I'm like, whoa, Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> and he's like, you know, I'm just trying to, it's professional, you gotta be professional, you know, so it's and funny. I, and I'm guessing other than <clears throat> Last House on the Left, which I assume did pretty well, uh, all these other things that Sean Cunningham was trying to do weren't successful. Yeah. The romantic comedies, yeah. the two, yeah, yeah, So he was like, what else, you know, what can we do? So he had this idea of like, let's make a movie called Friday the 13th. Yeah. Halloween. They had a t- they had a title. Had just co- had come out and had been had been in seventy seven, had seventy eight, but had been gaining steam and making a lot of money in the, uh, the drive in theaters and grindhouse. And Black Christmas and had come out in seventy four, but Halloween had taken. Halloween was a huge success and for the longest time was the highest grossing independent movie of all time. Uh, but it took time. It it did, wasn't a huge success at first. It kind of grew an audience. So. If, Sean Cunningham has this idea, idea. He's like, let's make a movie called Friday the 13th. No storyline. He's set. But he's like, I'm just curious. So he, I believe that he took an ad out in Variety, just like Friday the 13th, coming soon yeah. <laughs> or whatever, just to see what the reaction would Is be. Is that when he gets the scriptwriter, Victor Miller, on board? And he ends up selling basically the idea to do the movie based on nothing but the title. Which is, in the old days, very again... Corman, very Corman-esque. Yeah, I forget who, because all these podcasts we do blend into one, but that's another thing where people would... Wouldn't they just go and sell on a poster and a title? Yeah, yeah. You know, they go to, like, they, they'd make a movie, they go screen it at con, and they come at con with, like, a poster and a name, and they they get... And that was the thing. they get finance financing from people, and they just sell it on a title. Yeah. And then they'd have to come up with a story for the movie. So he... Uh, another the, common thing. Yeah, they got a screenwriter. Yeah, Victor Miller. And Victor Miller says, okay, well, where can we set it where there won't be adults? Yeah. Like, how can isolate a bunch of teenagers? So they had the idea to make, like you said, a horror movie. Yeah. You know, and they want to make it different. Basically, Sean Cunningham has no problem admitting that they were just trying to capitalize and kind of rip off Halloween. Why wouldn't you? That made money, and that's what happens even nowadays. <laughs> and uh, so they decided to set it at a summer camp for isolated children. Cunningham says, let's make it kind of like a murder mystery. Uh, by that point, Dawn of the Dead had come out and was a success. Like 78, yeah. And Dawn of the Dead, they call it like the first horror movie to really be gory, but I mean, Herschel Gordon-Lewis was doing it before that. I mean, it wasn't really, but... Well, it Dawn, was, like, sits a bar. But the Herschel Gordon-Lewis stuff yeah, was of really kind of <laughs> even more out there with gore. But for the time... It was the right movie at the time for them to look at and say, okay, Halloween wasn't bloody and gory. Dawn of the Dead was a true success. Now it's like a couple years later. We got to up the ante. Let's do the effects. I mean, let's really gore the crap out of it. And so they ended up, who the hell did Dawn of the Dead? Let's get Tom Savini. Tom Savini. Yeah. <laughs> so Tom Savini comes and he does the effects for for Friday the 13th. Uh, becomes this murder mystery. Spoiler. And we just talked about Maniac. He was doing Maniac. He did the Maniac, same Prowler. Yeah, and he's doing all those at the same time. And then he decided time. not to come back for Friday the 13th Part 2, but instead did a Friday the 13th ripoff, The Burning. Yes. Um, 
and they shot these in New Jersey. The first movie gets shot in a place called Hardwick, New Jersey, which is kind like of a camp called No Bosco Camp. Yeah, and if you, anybody knows the New Jersey area, it's near the Hardwick is near the Delaware Water Gap. Uh, and I have a friend of mine who lives out there who I work with, and it's funny that they shot like the beginning parts, like in the little town and stuff like that. So that's so for years people have been like, where did they? Sh- where's Camp Crystal Lake supposed to be? Connecticut, New York, and it's New Jersey, you know. So they shoot this movie in around 1980 or so, right around when they're shooting Maniac in New York City with uh, Lusting and Joe Spinell with Savini. Yeah, they has uh, it's a bit of a murder mystery. We don't know who's doing it. Um, it's got a big reveal, surprise reveal. It's Jason's mother, which was spoiled in Scream. So don't feel bad about spoiling that for you. Then yeah. it has a little bit of a carry ending, which was very popular in those yeah. days. Like that last like big shock ending. And Petsy Palmer, who plays her mother, Jason Voorhees' mom, and is great. Yeah. She's really good in, you know, for the turn because she's in the movie for a while and then you don't make the realization that I think, one, that she's a killer, two, that she's Jason's mom. And we had... Uh, Harry Manfredini hired to do the the score, uh, steering away from what Car- what what Carpenter had done with synthesizers. He actually uses like a string ensemble and stuff, and he's and he's the one that originates the and the way he did that. And you can read all about it in my book, Scored to Death: Conversations with Some of Horror's Greatest Composers. You interviewed him. I interviewed him for the book and am more than honored to say that we're now friends uh when i was in california a couple of weeks ago harry and i had lunch nice at a barbecue place <laughs> nice uh and got and ca- caught up a little bit spent some time together he's a great guy um and uh he goes really into like where he got the idea to use the consonant sounds i mean every by this point if you know the series you probably heard and heard harry talk about that it comes from at the end uh, Betsy Palmer, she's talking in Jason's voice, kill her mommy. She's kind of got the split personality thing going. So he takes the K from the kill, takes the M from the mommy and goes k- k- k into a, says it into a mic. He just goes with, k- and then he puts the, uh, like and a, then it ha- echo. goes into a processor that kind of gives it like an echoing effect. In the book, Scored to Death, we talk about, I say, okay, like I understand that aspect of it, but where did you get the idea to do it like why why like what was the inspiration for that and he goes into which i've never heard him i've never read or, or heard him go deeper into the explanation of the it comes from another piece of music that he was inspired by so i encourage you if you're into this this score the friday the 13th scores harry is a fascinating guy and a talker so like i just have to give him a cue and then it's like five pages He'll go of <laughs> Talking, uh, fascinating guy, uh, and incredibly generous and nice. But I think the score is part of it, you know. Like there was like this trifecta of of things that came together with the first movie, which was Cunningham, Savini, and Manfredini. Yeah, I think it was like the magic formula. And not to take anything away from the writer, because the script is great too. So really, four things. And before we get off of that, um, the writer Victor Miller was a was originally going to call him Josh. Yes. But then kept the J, but as stuff started getting more suspenseful, more like a whodunit and horrific, I guess he, the, the darker tone made him go for Jason. And, and I so. think he might have also admitted that in his youth, there was some like kid named Jason that he didn't like <laughs> or something to that effect. Yeah. 
And then uh, and so, and what it, Savini talks about his effect of, you know, look, making Jason initially look like how he looked, that he knew a drunk in his town in Pittsburgh growing up or wherever that had that look of a sloped eye, you know, like yeah, a mongreloid, yeah. quote unquote. And uh, then the, the, to, to wrap up talking about the first one, this is like the key part of the first one, which is unlike something like Halloween, which is an independent movie that gained steam, somehow Paramount ends up putting this movie out. A major Hollywood studio and the producer, uh, Frank Mancuso Sr. Now, unlike the other horror movies that were coming out of that day, they give this movie like a full-fledged, balls-out Hollywood push with selling it to the theaters, with advertising, and all of a sudden, it was like this little $500,000 slasher movie, which the genre is probably not even named slasher movies yet. This little movie on the, uh, you know, made for a little more money than Halloween, but not much, gets like this big credibility push from Paramount. And whereas Halloween's audience had to grow to become successful over like two years, like Carpenter didn't even know Halloween Halloween was a success when he was doing like Elvis. And then they came to him and said, let's do enough. Let's do Halloween, too. He was like, what? That that movie's making money. Yeah. (laughs) Like. Friday the 13th, out of the gate, made a shit ton of money. No pun the... intended to the last week's podcast, the gate. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, it was there, folks. So that's the that's the weird thing about the Friday the 13th series. Well, it's almost like the, the audience is ready for it. They were wanting more of they it, were, and then they were looking for, and then it was serendipitous. They were ready for it, but something about also like Paramount Studios behind it. Because even, flash forward a few years, even... Nightmare on Elm Street's being put out by New Line, which is a fairly small company. Out of all these horror slasher movies uh, and horror movies of this era, this is the only one that's being released by a major... That I can think of off the top of my head. Being released by a major Hollywood studio. So it has more money to put through... uh, For advertising. For the advertising and the promotion of the movie. It's got the name Paramount Studios behind it. So, uh, pictures, so they, quality yeah, they, aside, and you got like Siskel Niebert, then uh, uh, you know, like freaking critiquing it on shows, so it's like it's getting that yeah. push. So, uh, I mean, quality aside, whatever you think of the first movie or the series as a whole, up until they sell it to New Line, New Line, uh, this it it, it it kind of is a beast into its unto itself, and for in terms of. It just has more support than a lot of these other movies did. Correctly or incorrectly, isn't it then billed as the first slash? It it helps coin the the slasher genre, supposedly, even though Halloween came up before or even Black Christmas came up before that. People use Jason Friday the 13th as the... Well, you can point... Opens the floodgates to like, you know, maniac, like we said, Prowler, the it's burning. one of those weird circumstances where, like, okay, you can point to other Bay, you know, Mario Bava's Bay of Blood, which this movie takes a lot of things from. Uh-huh. Um, Black Christmas, which which starts to create some of the conventions of the slashers, which genre, we did a podcast on the first year. Bob of, Clark, one of my favorite podcasts that we've done is on Black Christmas. Uh, then Halloween, you could argue that it's the success of Halloween that sparks the slasher genre. But in essence, that's true, but it's the success of Halloween that sparks Friday the 13th. And then it's the success of Friday the 13th that really, again, 
opens the floodgates. <laughs> <laughs> That's the floodgates opening, ladies and gentlemen. Um, uh, this type of horror yeah. that becomes so popular. And you get so all those you get, Jamie you get Curtis prom, movies, you get Prom, prom Night, night April Fool's get, Day. And you get the uh, My Bloody Valentine and every, all those. Yeah. And Terror Train, yada, yada. You get all these movies. A coming. dude killing people, usually teenagers. But that's classic exploitation. Yeah. You know, one, to exploit a previous success, but two, to then exploit uh, boobs and par and slash and blood you know to exploit those things morality that, tales almost if you're going to have sex this is what's going to happen to you or you know, all those weird theories yeah, that people yeah. have that, you know or the more gore the better or whatever or the female heroine you're getting a lot of this so it's also interesting to think that uh friday the 13th is a revenge tale yeah the mother seeking revenge for the death of her son. If people don't know, in, in 1957, I think they even mentioned in the movie we're doing, part six, they timestamp it. Young Jason Voorhees, who is, um, I don't know if you would call him nowadays Down syndrome, but they say he was a mongoloid back then, so maybe he just has some really horrible birth defects. He's swimming alone in the lake, Camp exactly. Crystal Lake. He wasn't lake. a good swimmer. And he wasn't a good swimmer. He should have been supervised. And the camp counselors are off um, doing other things, uh, having sex or whatever. Canoodling. Canoodling. And, and then the poor boy drowns. And 20 years later, or maybe 23 years later, the mother, Betsy Palmer, starts getting revenge and going after the particular... But, but you know. also... Wants to prevent this from happening again. Yes. Once <laughs> she's trying to bring awareness to the idea of, you know, it's she's her, raising awareness yes. and, and trying and, uh, to save hey, her, the Jasons of the future. We certainly know her 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 uh, her motives are wrong, but her, her her but her heart's in the right place. Yeah. Her actions are wrong. Her actions are wrong, but, but her motives are kind uh, of yeah are, are, are sincere and admirable. <laughs> So she's a conflicted. She's a she's a sad killer. Sadly. Well, what's interesting, I think, is <laughs> she's a sad killer. She's a, <laughs> we feel bad for. Her. Uh, she's the victim here. <laughs> yeah, but it's so in essence, it's a revenge movie. Yeah. What's interesting is then the second movie becomes a revenge movie, which takes place right afterward, almost like Halloween Two does. It actually takes place on Saturday the fourteenth. Yes. Uh, which this movie part six starts on uh, Thursday the fourteenth. Thursday the twelfth. I'm sorry, I'm, I'm off. Okay, go. We're all fucked. I'm up. all messed up. Uh, whereas Jason now has is alive. Yes, and has now witnessed the beginning well, the end of, of his one. Yeah, at the end of one. Yeah, he comes out and well, gets that's her. part of the carry ending. Yeah. It's like, have you seen? Did you find the little boy? We didn't find no boy out there in the river. Yeah, and she goes out in a canoe, and then she gets taken under, and that's how it ends. And the second one is, is that Jason is not only alive. He's witnessed the beheading of his mom. He takes her head and brings it to his little shack he's been living in for how long. Finds a pillowcase. Shay Voorhees, I think, is how Harry Manfredini responds to it. Is he not? he calls it. And I forget if he has the pillowcase in the first movie. No, he's not really in the first movie. I know, but I mean, if the mother is wearing a pillowcase in the first movie, or oh, you just, good, just, or is it just a killer you don't see? That's a good question. You know, but it's in been the second so long one, since I've seen the yeah, first one, same with me. But the second one, he certainly is. He's he got the like pillowcase a, with one. Pillowcase, it's yeah. it, well, it's not really a pillowcase. It's more like a like a potato sack. Yeah, yeah. And he's got like one eye. It's uh, very reminiscent of there was another the the. Yeah, town the, that the, stood the, still. The, yeah, the, 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 the town. Ninth, uh, the town, yeah. <laughs> I think it's based off a true story. Which is based off a true story. Oh, where yeah. there was a killer that had like a potato sack on the his head. The town that time forgot. Yeah, so it's something. <laughs> what is the name of it? Mike. 
Yeah, tell us the name of that. And that that was like a they made a TV movie out of that. I think uh, there was a remake of that movie recently within the last couple of years. But anyway, that kid, there's a serial killer based on a true story that wears like a sack on his head, like a potato sack, which could yeah. have been part of what was maybe inspired by the same events of yeah. the sack. So uh, that's the second movie, and then by the end of the second movie, he is again killed, and he comes back in the third movie with the potato sack. Mm-hmm. But then, for our purposes, 3D. 3D, for our purposes here, one, yeah, we get into the 3D because there was a big 3D revival in the early 80s. And serendipitously, all these franchises had their third installments. Jaws 3, well, fuck it, we'll make it 3D. <laughs> fuck it, 3D. Uh, Amityville, Amityville, fuck it, we'll make it 3D. <laughs> Jason, fuck it, we'll make it 3D. Uh, what else? Westworld, no, we didn't have a second one. Shit, or a third one. So it's like, you know, th- so this, this is a big push again, 3D, and people... That reinvigorates the franchise again, and people love. I mean, and for well, they do say that at the end of every movie, like there really was not a whole lot of expectation that they would make another one. Yeah, then then they didn't really know whether there was going to be another one after the third one. Uh, uh, but three. But, I mean, after the first one. And I remember for so many years that was my big thing too. Is I want to see the three D version. They really when they released all these around the time that um. The remake of Friday the 13th came out in 2009. They did all special editions. Yeah. They released the 3D version but of But with, like, the red-blue. Yeah. I'm waiting for the, the Blu-ray. The Blu-ray, which is, which like is official. For, the, for 3D televisions. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and that was great. There's a lot of tricks in that. that. with, like, Jaws 3D. Oh, they did. They made the they, Blu-ray. They had a blue. They have a 3D Blu-ray of that. There's a couple... Some of the ones that we've talked about where we bought Yeah, well, you, yeah that's you and I, in the early to mid-odds... We found a site that had 3D bootlegs of all these movies, 50s movies and these movies. Oh, like DVR. Yeah. And and a lot of the movies, especially the 50s movies, have never seen a 3D release like um, Dial in for Murder, House of Wax. So to get House of Wax and watch that in 3D, freaking uh, a Creature from the Black Lagoon. And that's what I said a couple of years ago where I went to the, to the screenings of 3D and then I had that horrible experience. House of Wax. No, the other one. Oh, oh yeah, Creature from yeah. the Black Lagoon. It was a double feature. Everyone was nice for House of Wax, but Creature from the Black Lagoon, I was like yelling at people in the theater. I was like, shut up. This isn't a fucking comedy. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but anyway, so it was. we were buying these movies, and then we bought, bootlegs. You know, we bought three in 3D. Yeah. And uh, But even the official release is kind of this blue-red. Yeah. But in, for our purposes here, that it's a big movie, but it also gives us, halfway through the movie, he finds a hockey mask. And Jason takes, he's like, oh, this is going to work a lot better than the potato mat, pit, the potato, potato sack, because I can't see a <laughs> damn thing out of this. He puts the hockey mask on. It gives us the hockey mask. So then four, when he comes back... It gives him, like, an iconic look. Yeah. Which, you know, he didn't really have until then. Like, a very specific... Yeah. Iconic look that Michael Myers had. He had the William instance. Shatner mask. He's looking like Captain Kirk. And uh, Fre- Freddy had his hat and the burnt face. I mean, maybe later on. Yeah. And then Chucky had his little doll. <laughs> had his doll face. His doll face with the red hair. Uh, the, the good guys or whatever they're good called. Good guy dolls. Yeah. This one, he gets the hockey mask and that becomes iconic. But they don't find the footing because then it's another hockey mask in part four. Part five, it's a completely different hockey mask if it's even the real Jason yes. or the copycat. When you get part six, the movie we're doing tonight, Jason Lives, they have the hockey mask. This is the hockey mask in the look that carries through in, at least until nine. Jason goes to hell when they blow him at the, up at the beginning. And maybe till the end of the movie when he gets the hockey mask back on. 
because he's a little bloated in that because of the supposed toxic waste from the end of eight. So, but he, this is the and then and then it's cool. It's I think it's supposed to be the same hockey mask because you start to see the battle damage through the yeah. consecutive movies. Well, so, I think even with six, they tried to. One of the things was. Go back to four, four. and yeah, and look and, at the damage and make it mimic the damage that like he uh, received, like the axe. Jason doesn't have yeah, has he, his left eye? He doesn't have his left eye anymore because in four he gets a machete through the head, and uh, they said they did something with his hand, but I couldn't really tell. He got a machete through the hand in four, and they tried to do that, but he's got he's wearing yellow gloves in this movie. So you get five come out. Five is a huge success, but audiences get pissed yeah. because... Well, they decided they were going to kill him off the final chapter in that's four, four. Yeah. which is where we're introduced to the character of Tommy Jarvis. Yeah. Young Corey Feldman. Played by a young Corey Feldman in that one. Yeah. Who uh, I think no... Uh, Tom Savini comes back for the effects, but originally there was somebody else going to do the effects. Something didn't work out. They brought him to, brought back Savini. Savini's like, well, I gave birth to Jason. Now I'll kill Jason, yeah. and I don't think it's any. And Jason's weird. a. Ro- I mean, Tom Savini's a rock star at this point. Yeah, and I don't think there's any uh, coincidence that his name's he's the character's name is Tom Tommy, oh. and he's way into like special effects yeah, and stuff. Yeah. I think it's a little homage. We also four is directed by Joseph Zito, who we've talked about a few times. I, oh, think I said he, Frank Zito before. That's, that's the character from uh, Maniac. <laughs> I named him. I think uh, he directed Invasion USA. Which a lot we, of the canon Chuck Norris which we direct, Which we taught, We did an episode on Invasion yeah. USA. And uh, he had directed The Prowler. Yeah. Which was a... Farley Grain. Is a Farley Granger in that? But it's... it's but Savini, Savini doing, had doing done the effects fact. for that. So the idea was that they were going to kill off uh, Jason. The end of the franchise. And so... Uh, when they kill off Jason, they maybe hint that Tommy Jarvis will be the next Jason, but I think they were a little hesitant to go with that storyline. Because uh, at the end of it, uh, to, to get Freddy to, or Freddy to get Jason to stop killing, Corey Feldman quickly goes up and shaves his head to make him look yeah. like a young Jason, and then that stops him. So and it also kind of ends with him, I think, gazing yeah weirdly the into the into the camera now part of what looking like jason according, to, according to Corey feldman this was the, the 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 idea was now okay we did kill jason but now we're gonna have tommy and Corey feldman was way into that idea as a kid and he actually comes back and does kind of a little cameo at the beginning, beginning of, of five beginning of five but he only does a little cameo in five because by that point he was in like goonies yeah he's and big. he couldn't do Friday the 13th. He couldn't do another Friday the 13th movie because he was... And it'd be odd because like he's still young. Like working on Spielberg movies. He's still young at this point, so he you'd have a juvenile killer. I mean, he's what? He's like 10 or 11? Yeah. You know? So that idea of Tommy being the next killer uh, did not come to fruition, basically, according to Feldman, because of Steven Spielberg, which he curses Steven Spielberg. <laughs> but you have then... So this is then set... You think about... If four was in contemporary time... Five is kind of in the future. It's kind of in the future, and, and that makes six in the future too. Six is supposed to take place in 1990 because we have Corey Feldman the beginning of five, but then it kind of flashes forward. He wakes he's, up. He's a little older. Yeah, he wakes up in the in the van going to the halfway house, and we're introduced to Tommy Jarvis. There, he's now a teenager. He's older, so I'd say maybe he's 10 years older or something. He's been having these these visions he can't get out of his head Jason so we have a lot of that in five where he's looking in the mirror he sees Jason in the mirror turns on he's not there he's disturbed he's very disturbed and P-S- then PSPDSA what is it PSD uh, <laughs> PSD yes um, so PTSD so he um, 
we have the whole <laughs> actions <laughs> of five. For if you're listening, every time you hear that pop noise, that's Dion doing. <laughs> that's that's Dion's lips. Yeah. That's some weird like yeah MP, weird yeah MP3 <laughs> artifact. It just I do that sometimes accidentally. Yeah, it's not like an imp- <laughs> it's your MP3 skipping. <laughs> um, so you have what happens in five, and then at the end of five, when it's revealed it's the ambulance driver, they are all taken to the hospital. And they're in the hospital room. Tommy Jarvis is resting comfortably. And the female character goes into his room to see if he's okay. He's not in the bed. They're like, what the hell? And then the door of the hospital room shuts. And Tommy Jarvis is wearing uh, Jason Voorhees' hockey mask. And he's hiding. And he may even have a knife. And that's the last shot of five. That he is almost becoming Jason. And it ends like that. And that might even piss off fans even more like what the hell you mean you know so that hence is the title the new beginning that it's not going to be jason and they also allude to in five that he was cremated supposedly so it can't be jason you know people like how the hell you know he's crazy he was cremated it wasn't him so the plan was to have six the movie we're doing tonight be a continuation of five in the sense that like you said tommy jarvis was going to now be the killer or it was going to be explored where he was going to have that norman bates uh, Jason's mom, Betsy yeah. Palmer, kind of a duality in his head. He's doing the killing. Or maybe he's just a complete psycho. Yeah, yeah. He's not hiding it. So, but because of the disappointment of Five with fan reaction, Paramount kind of nixes that idea. They don't want to have Tommy Jarvis now be the killer. They get the idea like, fuck it, let's just bring Jason back. Yeah. And the idea was they want to hire a director to come in, reboot the series, do whatever they want, but the only caveat is have Jason in it and don't make fun of Jason. Play yeah. Jason as a heavy killer. He's going to do the well, killing. Well, they find uh, Tom McLaughlin. Yeah. Who was, uh, has an interesting oh. backstory. Uh, mime, he, ro- rocker, he, he, actor. Yeah, so he, uh, his father was went to film school back like in 48 when film school started. Uh, and then he grew up around cameras. And then when the Beatles hit, he decided since he was making home movies, he's like, he wanted to be a rock star. So he forms this band called the Sloths. And they're on the L.A. scene in the mid-60s. So he's opening up for Love, The Doors, uh, maybe even Cream at like, you know, at the he's London Fog the, or Whiskey A Go-Go. And he's also on the same circuit as the Naz, which was Alice Cooper's band before Alice Cooper. So he... Which has a tie because Alice Cooper ends up doing uh, a song for this. Yeah, movie. so not only is he on the circuit, he's like he's into you know if you're the opening band, you're 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 interacting with the you know the, the next band, and a lot of these bands maybe didn't like love or the doors didn't take off yet, so they could be playing the London Fog or Whiskey Alagogo and like you know oh you know and then 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 these people you know or uh, and then. Uh, and then after that, he he ends up getting the idea he wants to become an artist. So he just drops everything, leaves the band, goes to Paris, and lives in Paris and goes into mime school with what's his face, um, Marceau. Yeah, Marseille Marceau. Uh, if we're saying saying comme that right, comme ça. Comme ça, comme ça. And he becomes a mime for years. He comes back and he opens a mime company in in in, in uh, L.A. And then in the mid '70s, Dick Van Dyke comes there, and Dick Van Dyke gets a variety show in the mid '70s. So he so Dick Van Dyke, since he's a big physical comedian, 
they be the, his mind. Uh, uh, Mc, what's his face? McLaughlin. Yeah. Uh, his McLaughlin. Yeah. I, mean, I don't know. His, <laughs> I've heard it both ways. His mind troop becomes like the resident troop on the Dick Van Dyke show. And there he meets like Andy Kaufman, all these people. He's he's making physical comedic jokes for, you know, people coming on, do, you know, guesting on the show, Lucille Ball. So he's meeting all these people, which is amazing. And then uh, Woody Allen comes to him and says, you know, maybe that's before that. He, he That for Sleeper or one of the Woody Allen movies, he mimes that. So he becomes... He goes back into the film industry being like a technical advisor. So he shows up for us in the Black Hole, mm-hmm. which we brought up in our Black Hole podcast for two, two uh, Halloweens ago. We did the Black Hole for our October Halloween movie month extravaganza. Yeah. Uh, he mimed a lot of the robotic ideas of, of the... Um, he played Captain Star. Yeah. And, and he did he did a lot of the, uh, the mime work for the guys. Because they realized they needed mimes to do like a lot of the robotic symbian beings that uh that what's his face uh, uh Maximilian Shell uh made Reinhardt made uh, on the ship and then he gets into the eighties and then he starts doing he starts directing he directs a horror movie called One Dark Night in nineteen eighty three yeah and that's basically how he ends up getting uh, to where we are here for asked it. to do to think about doing. Uh, part six. Part six. Jason lives because uh, it's a modest hit. His that horror movie he did, and the studio saw it, and they liked the suspense on the tight budget, and they said, and it was a gothic horror, and they're like, hey, you know, maybe you can. Well, I think he it wasn't a gothic horror until he writes it. Yeah. Um, they ask him to do it. No, I'm saying that the, that first movie he did. Oh yeah, yeah. You know, and so he uh, he I think he says that he had known the he knew the first movie, he had liked the first movie, he had maybe seen the second movie, he wasn't crazy about it. So uh, he doesn't want to turn it down outright. So he says, let me, can I watch the movie? So he goes to Paramount and he screens. They screen them all back to back. All back to five, back. I think. And he says, uh, okay, I'd like to do it. But what I would like to do is I think it would be a, a wrong step to continue trying to do the same thing. Keep going in this direction. What I'd like to do is kind of add a little bit of humor, poke fun at the films a little bit, a little bit of poke fun of the genre. Uh, by this time, the producer's Frank Mancuso Jr. Frank Mancuso Jr. says, uh, are you going to make fun of Jason? And he says, no, 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 I don't want to make fun of Jason. Jason is Jason. He is like the unstoppable killer in this. He, It's like the things going on around him, and there'll be... Uh, probably a term that wasn't coined at that time it this movie gets a little meta it starts kind of becoming a slightly uh more in the vein of a parody of the kinds of films that are being made at this time these slasher films uh, so he says what do you think and he and uh frank mccusa jr says Bring Jason back to life. I don't care if shit what you do after yeah. that. As long as you're not making fun as of Jason. As long as you don't make fun of Jason. And, and Jason's and, doing the killing. And he's in the movie. And you do whatever the fuck you want. Uh, as long as it's good. So uh, Tom McLaughlin loves the old uh, gothic horror movies. Yeah. He Hammers, likes the monster movies. He loves the hammer movies. Universals. He likes what Corman's doing with Vincent Price. And the Edgar so, Allan Poe stuff, yeah. And so you get a little bit of uh, his version through the lens of the 80s. Of and, the 80s and, 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 a, and a rocker director. Uh, you get the, the cemetery. and you Windy get, night. It's raining. And you get a little bit, a little taste of uh, Frankenstein. Frankenstein. Yeah. The resurrection of yeah. Jason. And, and then he comes up and Jason becomes like a Terminator. 
you know, and it's almost Jason is kind of. And in their mind, it was like it wasn't. Not only did the electricity bring him back, but now if if it's going to bring him back, it's going to make him a brick shit house. Yeah, he's a fucking superhuman. He's he's a and this this does a lot of things here. This reboots the like we said countless times already. This reboots the 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 uh, franchise, but it sets in place a lot of rules that you didn't have. No one, you didn't really know. First movie, it's his mom. Second movie, oh, he's still he's still alive. He never died. He's been living in the woods. Yeah, is what is he? Is he is he something wrong with him? He's impaired. He's and then they don't kill him in the second movie. That he comes back for the third. They don't kill him in the third. They kill him in the fourth. The you're, he's supposed to be cremated. So by this time, you solidify no, he's supernatural. He's otherworldly. He's almost like a zombie. And also, it solidifies that if fucking Tommy Jarvis didn't dig him up, none of this shit would have fucking yeah, happened. Tommy puts, Tommy's, puts everything in every, It's Every murder that happens from Horseshack on is all Tommy Jarvis's fault. Yeah, he's fault. the one that resurrects him. Yeah, and so on, on, with that thought in mind, it's if you want to get kind of meta for our sake here, it's almost like Tom, uh, Jason's hunting Tommy Jarvis down. It's almost like the Frankenstein idea. Yeah, yeah. You know, where Dr. Frankenstein makes the monster and then, and then uh, you know, and then it, it, he's accidentally created or on purpose created and then now the monster is now trying to hunt Dr. Frankenstein down to say, like, look what you did. You have to take responsibility for what, you, for what you've done. And our purpose is here. Jason is now hunting Tommy Jarvis or just going back to where he knows Crystal Lake and taking out everybody in his path. That's either stopping him or what he envisions to be uh, prey. So, and that is the temple or the the the, the really the, the foundation of what all these other movies end up becoming. Yeah. So uh, they start thinking about who they're gonna they want to cast as Jason. They had the gentleman um, from the from the fourth movie, Ted White, who played Jason in four. They asked him to come back to do five and six, and he said no to both of them. So they had a guy that they cast that they ended up shooting the paintball scene, like one of the first scenes they shot. And when, got, when they got the dailies back, Paramount thought he, the guy had gained a little weight. He yeah. was like a stuntman. Yeah, he was the, the stunt coordinator on the film, and, it, and this became common practice. Maybe going back to Halloween 2, where Dick Warlock played, took over the mantle of Michael Myers, who was the stunt coordinator for the Halloween movies. Yeah. Like, well, I have Nick Castle do it. We just have the stunt guy do it himself. Uh, so they were going to have the stunt coordinator, Dan Bradley, play Jason in this movie. And I've heard conflicting stories, also very vague explanations as to why they replaced Dan Bradley. Some say creative differences. Some say that he uh, wasn't as imposing on screen and the producer's uh, wanted to replace him. Some say that he gained weight, and he, he was kind of f- he filled out, and that would go against what Jason was supposed to look like living in the ground. Why would he kind of have a bigger frame if he's supposed to be this? But skeleton? still, a few of the early scenes of the movie, we still have Dan Bradley playing. Him. Yeah, the, the first stuff they shot was the whole paintball sequence, and he is Jason in the paintball sequence. But th- I guess it comes, and uh, McLaughlin says it wasn't his decision. But Paramount evidently goes over his head and says, we don't want, we're recasting the actor playing Jason and uh, we're going to send the guy to you. And they get... Um, C.J. Graham. Yeah. And C.J. Graham, the, supposedly the story behind his casting Which is... Which is fucking crazy. Yeah. Is that... <laughs> Weird. Uh, is it the producer, Mac- Mac- Macuso? 
I think it's the or, special effects coordinator, Martin Becker, sees him at a nightclub. They're at a nightclub and there's CJ a magician. Graham is apparently a nightclub owner. Yeah. X, X like Marine. Yeah. Turned nightclub owner. As you do. At, and they have like a hypnotist. Or like a magician on stage doing an act. Yeah. And, but, but, but that's the other thing. So this is, there's conflicting stories. I've heard that it was a magician and then he would come out and play Jason in the nightclub act. I've heard that there was a hypnotist. And part of the hypnotism was that he would have the audience members come up, he'd hypnotize them, and part of his act was that they would think they were being chased by Jason. And so eventually, because the C.J. Graham was this big, imposing uh, Marine guy who was fit, big, tall, they, he, and he owned the place, he started to play Jason in these nightclub, in these, in these acts that yeah. they did. And supposedly Martin Becker, maybe Frank Mancuso Jr., again, a lot of the information on the internet is not totally reliable. But they see him, they know that they're recasting Jason, and I think he's local to the area. Yeah. And they say, well, there's this guy that plays, that I saw him playing, and he's and he and Physically, yeah, he looks yeah, like, a lot like He him. looks like he could probably yeah. do it. So they, sh- they ship him down. And since he's coming from a Marine background, uh, he kind of, I don't know if it's subconsciously, brings a lot of that to the role of the mechanics. And he's, he's, he's not technically a stuntman, but he's physically no, fit. but he's got, like, great posture. Yeah, and, and, he's, and he's, got, he's got the... He's, he's, he's also uh, a very much on the horror uh, circuit, horror convention circuit. I met him briefly a couple of weeks ago when I was in California. Uh, his table was right next to... Um, Bill Mosley's table. Okay. And I met Bill Mosley and got to spend a little time with him because Bill's friends with Joseph Bashara, who's a p- composer in my book. And so we were hanging out with Bill Mosley and uh, CJ Graham was at the table next to him and I talked to him briefly. He seemed very nice. He was very into the idea of meeting fans of even though he never really did much he did like one other movie after this where he plays like the antagonist and we did the monster mania that you and i went to in march monster palooza monster we did went to monster mania monster palooza is the one in la okay the monster mania we went to cj was there and ted knight ted ted knight <laughs> people, a, lot people, a lot of people don't realize that ted knight played jason as yeah, well. yeah, yeah meanwhile at the role later uh ted white was there too uh, yeah, they yeah. Were signing and there was lines out the door for, and, they, and they both seemed like very very happy very taking pictures very you know they liked they they liked all that fame or attention so he he's cast as jason and he gives a lot of that i wouldn't say robotics but he gives a lot of that character you see in the jason bits yeah and the idea is, um, I guess, supposedly from like CJ's point of view, is that for every kill that Jason does, Jason learns a little more. Every shot, or that's you know, every time he's shot or something happened, he grows stronger. So that he's like alert. It's almost like it's like a computer learning. Yeah, yeah. You know, and you start to, and then he also, it's funny. He has the innocent reaction to things. Like for instance, the old dog cock of the head that you see in Mike Myers doing Michael Myers doing Halloween <laughs> not Mike Myers in Austin Powers um, he might do it in yeah. Austin Powers uh, but you see like Jason when the, the, the Winnebago's going up and down you see like Jason cock his head which is hilarious you know so it's all you know he adds the character that we know and love that really gets the movie going um and also, uh, Tom McLaughlin says he loved working with C.J. Graham because coming from a military background, he would just say, I need you to do this. And, and C.J. Graham would just say, yes, sir, yeah, and uh, execute it. And he, and he would do it, and, and there'd be no problem with it. So Discipline. He had discipline. So there, there's a, an issue here with the two 
leads from five in their contracts, they're supposed to come back and do six. The, the gentleman playing Tommy Jarvis is supposed to come back and reprise his role, but he was... That's John Shepard plays him in five. Yeah, Corey he, Feldman plays him in four. John Shepard plays him in five. As a teenager. As a teenager. And as we said, Corey Feldman has the cameo at the beginning, which is a dream sequence, which they end up parodying in six. The, the opening of six, where they're going to the cemetery, is almost like a tongue-in-cheek parody of the opening of five, where the dream yeah. sequence of two guys opening up and Tommy Jarvis witnessing it. So the uh, gentleman who plays him in five, Tommy Jarvis, he is very into, um, he's a Christian, and he's kind of having conf- conflicts of doing another movie like this. Sure. But uh, I think the idea is that they don't want to do it in the direction that they're having him be the killer now. They're they're re, they're re- rethinking the idea well i can't because that's the whole that was the big that was the big stipulation yeah you could do anything you want but you can't have jason be the jason has to be the killer jason has to come back to life you got to bring jason back he's got to be the killer and you can't make fun of jason yeah so also the woman who plays uh the the uh what's her face like uh who plays the woman in in five who survives she's supposed to come back too but if you're not having the problem was they had to recast um, Tommy Jarvis, played by the great uh, Tom Matthews, who people will know from Return of the Living Dead. Yes, he plays Tommy Jarvis in, in six. Yeah, he he he's in the, he's the whiner. Great great cast, and re- he's in Return of the Living Dead, and he might even be in Return of the Living Dead. Yeah, he's in Return of the Living Dead too. The parody they do. Like, oh my brainy brains! Jason's coming back. But that's the other one man show we're gonna put. On. Yeah, I, I, I do. <laughs> As David Patrick Kelly, I do. Uh, Tom uh, Matthews <laughs> doing his impressions of all different things. So uh, since they recast, they end up recasting Tommy Jarvis, uh, and the other guy goes into seminary school and becomes very into religion and stuff like that. And uh, he ends up having a whole other side career. So they recast Tommy Jarvis as Tom Matthews. And since they recast Tommy Jarvis, they realize they can't bring the woman back because they thought it would be weird that they'd have her back, but they're not having him back. So they get rid of her character, but they try to explain it away that at the beginning, when they drive up to the cemetery, they're driving her pickup truck to indicate she's still alive, she's fine, but they're doing this thing on their own. And like we said, this starts on Thursday the 12th, late night. They break out of the halfway house. They're driving there. He's having these these visions that we talked about that he's played with in five. Him and his buddy, Horshack. Yeah, Horshack. Alan, the character's name is Alan Haas. Yeah. Uh, played by Ron Palillo. Yeah, God bless as, him. Known as Horshack from Welcome, Welcome Back, Back Cotter. Cotter. Which is funny, when I saw this movie for the first time back in the, day. Know, the 90s, probably, watching it. I remember it was daytime at a friend's house. It was on. We were watching and I hadn't seen it before. And I was like, is that Horshack? <laughs> yeah, is he in this? What the hell is he doing here? <laughs> that was Horshack doing in this movie. Uh, and their whole thing is that they want he wants to just make sure Jason's dead. He wants confirmation. Yeah. And supposedly he was supposed to be cremated. And then there's they cut out parts in this script here where they were going to... A whole other part we can get into a little later on of this, but that the real story was he wasn't cremated. He was bought... And his body was put in the ground next to his mother. They didn't move the graves. They only yeah. moved the gravestone. Yeah, sons of bitches. <laughs> so Tommy Jarvis wants to go back. And uh, I think they say this makes cinema history where this is the three characters in a role played by three different actors. The same character played by three different actors consecutively in three different movies or something. That's the only time that's happened. Or maybe up until know. this movie. Who knows? And, uh, well, you got to have... Doing a little 
research in my head here. You got yeah. match from Maj- under Majesty's Secret Service. We have bo- you have Connery. Well, now that's if you have Connery that's first. Lazenby. But you got Lazenby. Then you have Diamonds Are Forever. Connery comes Connery back. Connery comes back, and then you have uh, well, Roger. You what was that? Living Living Let Die. Yeah. So that's three. Yeah. So then they're wrong. That's those bastards. Yeah, those, those internetters bumped that right away, <laughs> <laughs> right off the back. So um, he comes back and he wants to make sure he's dead. So in typical horror movie fashion, he digs the grave up. And then his idea was just, I guess, to cremate him himself because he brought gasoline. He stabs him a couple times with the metal rod. Yeah, I was thinking, like, Jason's running around smelling like fucking gasoline for the rest of the yeah. <laughs> Even though it's raining, yeah, but yeah. still. He's... And people are like, can't we just turn, light him on fire? <laughs> he smells an awful lot like fuel. Maybe we should yeah. just light him on So fire. for his selfish reasons of running to uh, actually cremate the body because he knew that the body wasn't cremated, he opens the body up. The body's there. He was buried. Everything was fine. He was everything was all good. He takes the he gets he's in such an rage that the body is there and not cremated. He rips off a metal freaking thingy, stabs him from, a half a dozen times gate. from the yeah from the from the fence the metal fence around the cemetery, stabs him a half a dozen times. Goes to get the gasoline and then like God leaves like, leaves the metal lightning rod <laughs> yeah. inside of Jason and then very much like um you know uh, what's his face um, Ben Franklin lightning hits him a couple times wakes him up. Old Ben Franklin, and then uh, he comes out. He, like you said, he douses him with gasoline, and it's very funny. It's, I mean, these are all jokes that I remember watching it, loving. That like you know, he douses him with gasoline. He's about to light him, and then it starts. The, the sky opens up. He starts raining. He's like, "Fuck!" And then can't light the match. Yeah, and then what's his face runs, hits him over the back of the head with the uh, with the with the with the shovel. Mm. Turns around, punches through his chest. Well, now we have the first kill of the movie. Now, yeah, this is another part of the direction that Tom McLaughlin wanted to go in, which is. Okay, we're establishing that, you know, Jason is now paranormal because of the lightning. He's superhuman. A la a Frankenstein, like we just said, universal. Horror, and he horror. also was trying to poke fun a little bit of the at the genre, do a little bit of a parody. Uh, you know, they there's a lot of things that point to this. I, mean, I guess it was. I mean, it's hard to say whether Freddy started doing it first or these movies started doing it first, but kind of holding up a mirror to these genre, this genre and kind of, you know, poking fun at it a little bit, doing a little bit of a parody of what we knew as the slasher genre at the time. But part of the, what uh, McLaughlin wanted to do was he wanted to hyper stylize it. And so it was very important to him that the kills in the movie were, kind of things that were not humanly possible. <laughs> yeah, over yeah, you know, like, like we're saying over the top. Push the limits. Not just they couldn't really be intimidated uh, imitated. They weren't Kevin Bacon having the spear through the neck. They weren't the two the couple having sex and having the spear pushed through. It wasn't just like yeah, spearing or decapitation. Yeah, or it wasn't just access machetes and stuff. It was let's like push the like do something yeah. crazy. So here we have the first example of that, which is Jason just <laughs> lands a fucking chest punch and it goes right through him. <laughs> comes out the other side. He's holding the fucking heart. Yeah, and then the, the deleted scene. If we'll attach the deleted scenes to this, they had to cut a lot of uh, uh, trim it down to get not get an X rating. But you see like the heart beating in his hand. Yeah, yeah. And then he just throws Horshack's body into the coffin. Casket closes, end of thing, turns around. Tommy Jones runs away, gets in the pickup truck and just leaves. And then Jason picks his hockey mask up, puts it on, turns around, 
And then when the credits start, we have even more, like you're saying, a tongue-in-cheek. We have the Bond open. <laughs> yeah, we have a parody of the Bond opening. We have Jason walks into frame like you see in every Bond movie. And, he, and then when he turns, he throws like a machete at the screen. And we get like the, the, the big splatter effect of like us getting sliced open with blood. And then it's Friday the 13th Part 6. And that opens the movie. And that kind of gives you... roaring applause, I'm sure. Yeah, and that gives you the... the that sets the bar of what this movie is going to be. And it's very much the kills and, and the stuff in this movie becomes these you know, triple decapitations. Yeah. Uh, which, unfortunately, you know, which we kind of hinted at earlier, which is like the MPAA really kind of dicking over this series in terms of cutting things out. Evidently, they were sleeping at the wheel when the first one came out. <laughs> and that really pissed them off. So they were sticklers for all the other movies about the gore. And so it always was a struggle. So when you get to this one... You know, and then all the gore in five, because five was heavily censored. Yeah, yeah. Uh, to the point where, like, a lot of the kills weren't even shown because yeah. of how much they had to take out, you know? So there's just so much that ended up kind of on the cutting room floor because of trying to get an R rating. Uh, it's just unfortunate. And they really, if they haven't yet, like I said, this is not really my series, so I don't follow it uh, religiously. But if they haven't yet, they really should release a director's cut. Try to find all these elements if they can. I hear some of them are. Or maybe lost time. Yeah, but then I last night I went on YouTube and I found all the the trims. You so know, so yeah, they but, should, I mean they're they're shitty looking. They sh- they should reestablish. They look like, like they're shot off a movie. There's like you know there's another excuse to release a box set. Yeah, it's like they did like it with the, the, the Donner. 13th, they did it with the, the Donner series. Yeah, the director's cut. And this is another example where there's a TV cut of this movie where I saw there's a deleted scene. Where when they lock the deputy into the um, jail, the jail, so. yeah, he didn't kill the. She shot the sheriff. He didn't kill the deputy. Yeah, um, locked him up. In the, <laughs> yeah, he locked him up. Cell. There's there's a a, a a trim of that scene where it goes on where he's using his coat and he's trying to get the keys and it's mm-hmm. you know goes on for like almost like forty seconds and he's like oh, I can't get it and that was like and and if you look at the shot that whoever put it on YouTube it has a TNT logo on the lower third. So maybe there was a TV cut of this that, you know, maybe they're trying to make, you know, who knows. So this is another example where you get a lot of trims and cut. I mean, there's no nudity in this movie. There was suggested, I mean, the other stipulation supposedly by the producer was we want the end to be a hot blonde chick. Be like the woman that's in, in, uh, in peril. So McLaughlin had to like hire, which ends up being the, the sheriff's daughter in the movie. Yeah. Played by Jennifer Cook. Yeah. Um, and uh, there's so and then so and he asks after they screen so like can we have some nudity, and McLaughlin supposedly asks the chick in the uh, Winnebago Winnebago scene. He asks her, "Hey, would you would you be into t- what's your face? I think your name is Darcy DeMoss. De would yeah. you be into taking your top off?" And she's like, "Hell no!" And he's but like, "She okay. almost was in the fifth one, yeah, but uh, she didn't get cast in the fifth one. She appears in the in the sixth one." And uh, so they go up to her and ask her, uh, "Would you mind taking nonchalantly? Your shirt? <laughs> Would you mind taking her your shirt off?" And she's like, eh, "No, no, I'm that wasn't that, that wasn't in the contract." Yeah, so like, like, okay, unfortunately, like we've already, you know, <laughs> we've already established the deal. But there is sex in this. I remember when I saw it when I was little. That was a hot scene where you know she's riding him, and I'm like, "Oh my gosh, there's, this is a sex scene." Even though they're not naked, it seems very scandalous at the time. And the reason behind that was McLaughlin said he wanted to just have a scene where you see the Winnebago going up and down and Jason get a reaction to yeah, it. Yeah, like walks in a frame in you the know, foreground. Uh, uh, and the person she's having sex with is Tom Fridley, is the actor, and he's John Travolta's nephew. Oh, look at that. 
all comes who's, back to John Travolta. I would assume the son of John Travolta's sister, who's an actress, who's in stuff. Yeah, yeah. She's might have had a bit part in Greece. I know she was in Charles in Charge. Nice. I think she might play Charles's mom, to my recollection. This is going back way into the annals of my mind. The annals. <laughs> People think, like, geez, they're really mispronouncing that. It's annals, you assholes. <laughs> <laughs> my memory to yeah. remember Charles in charge the anal plans of his mind um, and the, also an, a lot of new stuff that comes in you have a car chase you have uh, a shoot police shootout this is stuff you don't see in Jason movies but the prob- even on the tight budget McLaughlin was trying to break new ground and squeeze yeah. as much as he could into this and as also since he was a rocker why don't we bring a, get a rock soundtrack? So he says, hey, let's get Alice Cooper. I, well, I think even Mancuso Jr. is the one that says, what do you think about having Alice Cooper do a song? He's like, the, sweet. And he's like, I know Alice back when he was called Vincent. Yes. <laughs> back in the day, I think that's a great fucking idea. And I think Alice so, Cooper this time had like a lull in his career in the early 80s. Yeah, it was this, not this song necessarily, but probably a, a contributed to it. But the... Uh, album that this song was on, which I think might have been Constrictor, if I'm thinking of my Alice Cooper knowledge. I think that album was kind of a comeback for for Alice. Uh, and the the song and the, the video for that song, uh, he's back, The Man Behind the Mask. Which will include it as an extra in this post Very as well. well could have been a contributing factor to kind of this resurgence of Alice Cooper. So, uh, yeah. So we get... Uh, but also, when he finds out Alice is going to start is going to do a song for it, he starts putting into the temp track of the movie some Alice Cooper songs, like Teenage Frankenstein. Yeah. So at the, by the end, he was like, "You, know, you think we, Alice would let us use these?" He runs it by Alice. Alice is like, "Yeah, sounds awesome. <laughs> Put them in there." So I think there are three Alice Cooper songs in the film. Yeah, and and it becomes very much like a, I mean. It go, we go on to hear that this supposedly, the guy who wrote Scream, this was a big influence for him because McLaughlin later on is offered Scream in the early 90s and he passes on it. And then I guess he comes around. He passes and, on it thinking like, I already did this movie, which I, it's not Scream. I mean, no. But I get the idea of like, especially the mentality is more in the vein of Scream than other things. And especially if he's cognizant of what he's doing, yeah. which like I said, for me, it never occurred to me that this was almost being self-aware or it's a little smarter meta yeah, yeah. when you're watching it. But then it's it's clearly obvious now when they set up these rules of Jason being a superhuman or supernatural zombie or yeah. whatever, a Terminator, that you're starting to see a lot of like the over-the-top kills. And you're starting to... Or even the the girl uh, who who's played by Tom McLaughlin's wife in the movie at the beginning, the first kill that's after Horshack. She says, I've seen enough of these oh, horror movies with the guy with a mask to get out of here. Yeah, yeah. You know, and the guy who's the well, husband... She's, she's in that scene. With, uh, with the VW, the, the great Tony Goldwyn. I was going to say, yeah, he's you know we know him, uh, we know and love him. So you know, it, it is very self-aware, even to, with the Bond opening and stuff like that. And, and then since they are completely forgetting the last scene in Five, the last shot, they're parroting the opening of Five with Six, and they're keeping the continuity of how Jason looked in Four with the with the. So there, there's a lot of things going on now, and. Uh, you get this this idea of now Jason's let loose in Camp Crystal Lake because of what's happened in the first five movies. They're like, we've had five movies take place here, and it's There's been terrible. There's a lot of screwed up shit going on happening here. And um, supposedly, uh, the fictional Green Valley, New Jersey, I think it's in three. 
uh, at the beginning, the kids are like at a store and in the background, it says Green Valley, New Jersey. So that's supposedly where Crystal Lake is supposed to be in New Jersey. Uh, Crystal Lake has been shut down between so four and five. So they changed the town from Crystal Lake to Forest to Lake Forest Green. Yeah, evidently they're big uh, bullet Mustang fans and they love the character color Forest Green. So like, we'll, we'll name the lake and the place Forest. So it's turned into Forest Green. Cemetery, right? No, it's a cemetery of eternal rest, maybe. Forest Green Park, Forest Green Lake. So so Camp Forest Green. Yeah. So Jason starts his way back towards Forest Green Lake. Yeah. Or Lake Forest Green. Well also to put the you know, you were talking about there's all these things like car chase, shootouts, things that weren't previously in the other versions. In the series. Uh the other thing they do, which I think is maybe not exploited to its fullest extent but a, a worthy a, a noteworthy attempt which is they try to up the uh stakes by actually having kids at the camp and that's <laughs> and this is an idea that you don't really think about that the other movies uh i don't remember one and i should because i, I think one it's like they get there early but well, the that's camp always isn't the premise open yet. The, the premise is always is that, that the counselors are getting there first to set the camp up before shit goes down and I guess sleepaway camp, the kids are there, right? That's the whole point of sleepaway camp. Yeah. But in these movies, for our purposes, they're it's the it, they're always killed off either. Angela. The, yeah. <laughs> What's that? Is that da, her da, name? Da. Uh, they're they're the the counselors are, are are in preparation to open the camp, and waiting for the kids to arrive, or they're just partying in the woods near the camp. Like in four, they're like at a house, I think it is, or even three. They're you know. So this is the one to, to actually interject kids and to interject interject the peril of having the kids um be in danger and that's a huge part of member i remember when i was little watching this you have the kids sleeping and there's the very legendary scene maybe in my mind jason goes into the into the the to the to the actual um cabin where they're all sleeping one girl's up, and she said before she's scared because she's been up all night seeing monsters, and we don't know if that means she's been seeing Jason walking around or she's just seeing monsters in her head from whatever. Jason walks in and looks at her, and she starts praying, and Jason spares her. He, he actually hears something else, and he leaves. But for years, I remember like the next day, this is now getting into something like Blake will only know. You remember where I used to live? Uh-huh. And you remember how it was a cul-de-sac? Riversdale. Oh, Rosedale, Rosedale. Yeah, I remember we're going down to going down to going down to Rosedale. Going down to Rosedale. Meet my friend Willie Brown. Uh, another <laughs> blues reference to Crossroads. So Rosedale, my street used to end. It was my house and house next door, and the street used to end there, and it was a farm. Mm-hmm. And then you know when I was living in after five years, they they got rid of the farm and they put in like the new housing development back there with the cul-de-sac. And when we were little, when they were building that housing development, we would go into the houses and, you know, we'd play tag, we'd pee in the corner or whatever. And I remember we were in in one of the houses, you know, and it was half done and, you know, it was only framed with the the two by fours and stuff. And we're talking about, it was the next day, and we're talking about the lore of Jason. And me and my friend Martin and my friend Jeff were all talking about, like, you know, that he has a pathos or empathy, that there's something Jason wouldn't do, he won't kill kids. Yeah, yeah, and that was the big the speculation. We were little that maybe because he identifies with the children. Yeah, he was a kid. He was a kid, but then at the end of the movie, he does break through. He does the climactic run through the door, and you know, and, and scares the shit out of the kids. Maybe, the, <laughs> maybe they up the ante to get them to, to. He's trying to do that as a bluff to make them expose themselves. Jason, come out of here! Come kill me! <laughs> he does the old predator. Come kill me now! I'm out in the woods. Come on! I'm out in the uh, in the robot. Come kill me now! I'm here! Come kill me! So there was an idea that like. We, 
as a child, I even thought that was really cool, the concept that there's something Jason wouldn't do. Mm-hmm. And Jason won't kill the kids. It's like, you know women, no kids. He what, kills women, but he, he won't kill kids. What wouldn't Jason do? What wouldn't Jason do? He won't kill, supposedly won't kill children. Unlike five where, you know, the guy's killing, he's the ambulance driver's killing. I don't give a shit. Yeah. So that was always so exciting for us to debate in our little pseudo-intellectual nine-year, ten-year-old minds. was something magical about, like, going into an unfinished house when you were a kid. Yeah, and running and around. Like and, like, walking around. Hurting yourself. It's just, like, the wood. Yeah, it's not just, done yet. <laughs> it's like, you're, the, the concrete's just laid, so it's brand new. You're you're running up the stairmate, and you'd be finished, so you have to climb to the second floor. And then, we're, kids, what are you going to do? We're going to urinate in the corner, and, you know, ah, this is going to be someone's bedroom at some point. Or, like, you know, we'd hide... And, and you, I mean, I think about that now. Like construction workers had to know we were going in it, and my our, my parents had to know we were playing back there because it's only a house away. So yeah, yeah. But we, that was all. You know, we used to play in the farm. Like, have this giant clubhouse for like a couple yeah for of like weeks. yeah for like a month or two until they're done. You know, there was and they were all raised ranches, so there was about twelve houses they made identical looking, except one was a cape. They did it like a colonial or a cape, so that had a basement. So that took a little longer to do. So that was when we would run around the bot. You know, there was yeah, like yeah. trenches and stuff. So. Uh, this is how heavily connected this particular movie to me growing up is that we would debate all this like oh Jason even though you know he won't he'll kill the counselors but he won't kill the kids and you know so it's it's weird that this is but then McLaughlin says that he wanted to he was religious growing up and he wanted to bring the little the religion in that you know and then that was so much so that later on there's a deleted scene that is in will include where at the end when she swims out to Tommy Jarvis what's her face uh, cook Jason, uh, yeah, play, uh, the character's name is Megan Garris. Yeah, uh, she she uh, swims out to Jarvis, brings him back in, and then resuscitates him. All the kids are around, and two things about that scene: they cut out the bit where you see the kids running down to to that, and it's really weird how they shot it. It's either because of how they shot it or because of how shitty the print is now when you look. But the kids all look like angels. And they all look like they're dressed in white, how they lit them. And they all come down, and it's like there's a light on the horizon, like over the hill. And they all come down, and they all look like little angels in white until they get right around them. And then when they get to their positions, then you see that they're wearing like Master of the Universe pajamas or whatever. So I don't know if that was done on purpose. But then when they resuscitate Jarvis, and Jarvis wakes up, the same girl who was praying before, she's praying again. And then it he wakes up and she looks up and she mouths the word thank you. Yeah. And they took that out because they're like, nah, you're getting too fucking religious. <laughs> no, come on. There's a little too much of religion in this movie. So, it's it's interesting the, the, the stuff they, you know, that they end up bringing in here. I think the real hero of this movie is the poor sheriff. Because yeah. you think about from an analytical point of view, this poor sheriff's dealing with this nut kid, Tommy Jarvis, who, you know, he's not trying to be mean to the kid, but he knows the kid had it. And he even says it. Like, look, I feel terrible what happened to your family. Your family was killed. But we know you've had, like, a transient break. You're living in, like, a mental halfway house. You you know, we know you're lying. You, you know, they go look to see if he's digged up. He wasn't dug up because the, the groundskeeper, you know, buried him, filled it, filled it, it in. Yeah. And then at the point where, like, he thinks either Tommy Jarvis or Jason are killing these people, you know, he's like, oh, my God, all these kids are in trouble. So he's very admirable. He's, like, calling in the, the, the Calvary. He's like, we got to save. So, it's you know, he's the real hero of this. Like, in, in the part where Jason grabs his daughter, it could have been, like, um, what's the few, what's the 28 days later? And there's 28 weeks later. You're not wearing the guy. Uh, he, 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 he At the last second, he leaves his family to be yeah, killed yeah. at the beginning. Spoiler alert. Like, this guy, like, 
lures Jason away from his daughter, and that's like the ultimate price he pays because the guy Jason kills him. Yeah. So like he's a real hero here, you know, <laughs> like from the point of view of like yeah, yeah. saving the you know. So they should erect like you know and Crystal Stat- Lake statues, statues for, you know, <laughs> statue I mean, or Sheriff Mike Carrot. Yeah, or, or name the can- the lake again if they're going to reopen this fucking thing for a fourth or fifth time rename this camp you know Karis. you think at some point they'd be like look we know there's a lot of real lot estate of here but maybe shit. we should close the camp <laughs> yeah why don't we just turn it into condos i'm sure you know you can make this a lakeside attraction uh, i'm sure nowadays people can renovate and and turn this into you know a nice condo complex with a little people can no, go we'll fishing. just change the name of the town yeah we'll just change it to forest green because the the, the person who does like the land stuff is a big bullet fan um, Not to be mistaken with Horace Green, which is the name of the school from the movie School of Rocks. Yes. School of Rocks. Exactly. And uh, to get into the soundtrack again, too, like you're saying, um, Harry Manfredini. Uh-huh. This has a great sound. Not not the Al- take away the Alice Cooper rock songs in the movie. This has a great soundtrack. Yeah, like yeah. that. The reoccurring score for this yeah, is great, and it's very haunting. And it's it's another thing that I remember. It's very iconic throughout the movie when you have. This is the movie that also sets the tone of, you know, where, which allure to me was like, no matter how fast you run away, Jason's going to take his time walk, but he'll get you. Yeah. And uh, for me, like, I remember when I was little, people used to say, well, why don't you, why aren't you into like Michael Myers? And I only, I remember when I was little seeing Halloween 2. And there's the part where Jamie Lee Curtis is trying to get away from him in the basement of the uh, hospital. And he's very just like, uh, and he's just like really yeah. laxed, like almost like he's drugged. He's very slow. And he's like, uh, you know, I always like Jason was purposeful. And I, it always was haunting for me the idea of they'd have the cutaway in this movie of just Jason walking through the woods. Like he's, he's on his way. He's never going to stop. You know, he's, he's, he's on his way. He's going to get to the camp at some point. Yeah. And that score, his, his little theme that's in this movie for, for, Part six is very haunting. It's it's that stayed yeah. with me for all well, these years. Harry uh, in the in my book, Score to Death, he talks a little bit about how he loved working with Tom McLaughlin. Uh, he also liked this one. I, he didn't say this, but I get the sense. I don't want to put words in his mouth. But I get the sense that out of all the movies that he scored, this might be one of his favorites in terms of he liked that the characters seem to have more character. And he actually had, like, an orchestra to do the score for this one. You know, by the time three, four, like, they had started to become more synthesized-based because the budgets for the scores got cheaper and cheaper. Um, So he had a little more things to work with, had more players to play on the score. Yeah. Uh, He talks about five being kind of a weird one because it's not really Jason. So how to juggle that like the like that's not jason but we have to tell the audience that it's jason kind of thing but he seemed to really like six and i think i don't think he ends up doing seven and eight yeah uh, mayfordini yeah but i think he comes back for nine and ten but uh, uh yeah he seems to really like this one and there is he it's a it's a little bit of a bigger score and i think part of that probably has to do with this like gothic element that McLaughlin was trying to bring to it. It's to me. It seems like the score is almost self-aware of itself and what the movie is, and how we talked about a couple months ago with the Predator score. I I would almost say it's the same. This score is, oh, maybe not half the movie, but a quarter of the movie is how good this score is. Yeah, yeah. With it accenting these horns, accenting what he does, or you know the 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 leaps and the bounds, and the you know you, when you you 
when it's not only cut up, cut on action of Jason killing somebody, you have a sound effect from the score doing it, and I loved all that. Yeah, you yeah. know, and then like it, it, and then the very I don't know how to describe the sound effect, but at the last shot, that very eerie echo, almost like the chimes, and like you're looking into the lake as he's still alive, or what, yeah, yeah. that horrifies me. Like that whole last shot and that sound, so I I find that very iconic, and like it being a very gothic or very larger than life score, it's very much helps the movie transcend and become something that it you know that it's perfect for the 80s and it seems like a lot of those other scores end up being like almost you know copies of this sure yeah. you know um and then you have the caretaker well, there's also i mean you should point out there's a lot of elements to uh, the fir- the original score which all these other scores are playing off to there is like a Herm- bernard hermanesque strings echoey yeah. type feel to them all and, uh, Which is clutch to these yeah, movies. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, Manfredini's often said, you know, people, you know, they say the, they always bring up the, the Bernard Herman. He's like, look, in my opinion, it's not a bad thing. If you're going to compare what I'm doing to Bernard Herman, like, I'll take it. Of course. <laughs> like, Bernard Herman's like, well, if not the greatest, one of the greatest composers of film history. So, if, like, to even be, have my stuff compared to him, even if you're saying it in a negative way, it's a positive thing if it's, if it's bringing that. To, to your to, to mind when you listen to it yeah and uh, you get the caretaker in the movie the caretaker he's funny uh, I never really realized in the where you have the scene where the caretaker is is filling in the grave yeah he has he has these two iconic lines that he says uh, where he says something to like you know uh, see I'm paraphrasing here so forgive me the people who know this like Mike Vanderbilt uh he says like, oh, he says, you know, why would you, why would you want to go and dig up Jason? He says it to himself. And then I've always looked at it that he just looks up but doesn't look into frame. But people saying he's breaking the fourth wall and looking right into frame at the audience and doing almost like one of those Shakespeare, like, you know, uh, you know, an aside to the audience. Mm-hmm. He says some folks have a sh- uh, sure got a strange idea of entertainment. And that's supposed to be like the joke. Where he's breaking the fourth wall, but I've always looked at it like he, that's just again him saying him looking down at the casket and saying that mm-hmm. you know. But it goes to that again, it being aware of itself. Wink, wink. Yeah, you know. And um, there's a huge element here that they there was three different endings they wanted to have on the movie. Uh, one of which we get, but yeah. but the other two we don't. The first one is McLaughlin wanted to bring in. Uh, Jason's father. We never know what it Jason, who Jason's father was or is. It's never really alluded to. Yeah, we so, know who his mother is. Yeah, and from she's, the first movie. Yeah, and she and her head's in the second movie, and you know you get the flashbacks. So in this movie, he's like, "Why don't we bring in Elias?" Yeah, Voorhees. but I'm not even sure he's named Elias until nine. He might just be like Mister Voorhees. Yeah, uh, and then there's like a news report, I believe, in nine. That's like, and is and Jason's parents, Pamela and Elias Voorhees. Uh, so I'm not positive if it was in the original script or not, and it would be interesting because unfortunately the Friday the Thirteenth novelizations are pretty hard to get and really yeah. expensive. But uh, this alternate ending of uh, Jason's dad that uh, Dion's going to talk about right now is preserved because it's in the original script, preserved in the novelization for Part Six, and I guess that's how we. I guess if Whoever has that one, and, and maybe someday I'll be able to get it myself, if I can find a copy cheap enough, we'd be able to really see if he was named Elias in this or if it's just like Mr. Voorhees. Yeah, that's written by Simon Hawk in 1986. And, and uh, 
in five, it's alluded to that he's cremated, but then there's a throwaway line in six. I think when they lock Tommy Jarvis up, he's speaking to the sheriff. He's like, I thought he was cremated. <laughs> and he says, like, no. no, somebody paid for his body to be buried. And we find out later on that near the at the end of the movie that the uh, the groundskeeper caretaker gentleman, Martin, Martin is being paid by a mysterious gentleman who is Mr. Voorhees to take care of the, 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 the mother and son who were buried together next to each other gives them a, and, and this was never shot but they storyboarded it and it's now been released it's on youtube we can put a link to that as well and the cool thing about uh, the storyboards might have actually be done post oh you think just to just I think to, for the special feature for, of, of the, of the, the re-release of part six and what they do is they bring back the actor who played the martin the caretaker and he voices the lines that were in the original script over the storyboard and what it is is he's been he you see him get a large sum of bills in his hand. He's like, thank you very much, Mr. Voorhees. I've taken it, taken care of it just the way you like it. And then Mr. Voorhees goes and looks at the, the graves. And I think like you see a shot very close up of him looking down. Then he looks at the camera and then it's supposed to cut there. And it's supposed to lead you to believe that part seven would be now just like part five was that it'd be, you know, somebody else taking the, the, the taking over the mantle, but quickly for two reasons, this got scrapped very quickly. One was because, the, the the Paramount Pictures were like, we don't want to commit ourselves to having seven that we don't even know what we're going to do yet be a story where we have to then go into the backstory of uh, Mr. Voorhees. We don't want to have to commit to that. Two, they had only 13 murders in part six, and that was supposed to be like a a, a, a joke because of Friday the 13th. But the uh, since there was no nudity in the movie and they wanted to up the gore level, the, comp- the, the studio was like, can we have some more kills? So after they finished, they went back and shot three more deaths. And the three more deaths they end up shooting are the death of the caretaker and the death of the two people who see the caretaker get killed on the little Vespa and then get killed themselves. So because the caretaker is killed, that, again, wouldn't work to have him then show up at the ending. Yeah, yeah. And be that guy. Tom McLaughlin wanted 13 kills. Yeah. And then through test screenings, it was kind of, according to Manfredini, came back that a lot of the tests testing cards were coming back like there wasn't enough yeah, death. I mean, it changes. <laughs> you know, you don't think it's over a top so enough. Had to add three more. So uh, they end up getting uh, 16 kills. And then the second ending was supposed to be, I think that it's like, um, uh, let's see. The, 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 it's the there's the deputy still in jail uh-huh. and he's trying to get out and then the door opens and it's like, I think a POV shot of someone walking in the, and the deputy looks and like screams and it's an abrupt cut to the end and that's supposed to indicate that Jason made it out or something. Yeah, and yeah. then there's the third ending is the ending that we know of where Jason's down there, you get that eerie sound and you go into the lake and you see him down there, and then his eyes open and that's, or his eye opens and that's the end. And that's the, the three endings. And then, like we said, there's a lot of bits and pieces that they had to cut out because the deaths were too gruesome for not to get like, I think they went through like nine cuts of the movie yeah. through MPAA so the so that they wouldn't, um, they can get this R rating, yeah. you know. And, and not that nine things were cut out, but like nine tries at submitting the movie to the MPAA. Yeah. Um, and then, so for you watching it, what did you think, you know, in the sense of, you know, Going into it, you know, not knowing if you were going to remember it. And then when you're like, oh, okay, you know. and, and Yeah, you know. when we kind of chose this one, I said to Dan, I said, I don't even know if I've seen this. I've seen it. 
you know. Because um, I surmise, like me, like a lot, like a lot of the early ones just blend into one movie, kind of. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, looking, doing research, I've seen the first one. I've seen big chunks of the second one. I've seen the third one. I've seen the fourth one. I don't think I've ever seen all of five. But this was one that I had, when we started watching it, I was like, okay, yeah, I know this one. Because I remember, I think I said, when I said it earlier, like watching it at a friend's house, like, what the hell is Horshack doing in this movie? And you told me off mic that you screened this in the horror class as well. Well, I screened parts of it in the horror class. I did a, uh, and I think I might talk about it a little bit when we did Maniac on the podcast. I had screened Maniac, and it went over like a you know, lead balloon. Like it was like the audience, my, my students hated maniac. Like some girl was like, why did you show us? This? And I think we bring this up in the maniac. We do. We did a podcast on the great maniac. That's what I mean. Like the story yeah. might've come up when we did maniac. And it wasn't like they didn't like the movie. They were uncomfortable with the, the, the yeah, right. It was, well, what happened was going into that class since I wasn't going to show like Halloween, I wasn't going to show like the stereotypical, Stuff they might have already seen. Like slasher movie that year. The following year I showed, I think, maybe Black Christmas instead for a slasher movie. Because um, part of what I was trying to do was show students movies that maybe they hadn't seen before was part of my tact. Uh, so I had said, I asked Dion, I said, hey, you know, what's a hey, good, what's like a good scene or a couple of scenes to pull as kind of like the more stereotypical slasher fair? And Dion had said you should check out uh, Friday the 13th 5 or 6 and then I think you were like well the Winnebago scene in 6 so I had I had watched it then and I had pulled the Winnebago scene for to show as a clip and what I discovered was uh, in showing the clip they were way into it laughing having a good time they loved it and what the difference, in my opinion, was... Which is kind of like you expect when people would see that in a the theater, how people were into it. Yeah. But, you know, what was going on, the th- kinds of things that they hated about M- Maniac were the same things that they loved in the other slasher movies. You know, like the girl running into the bathroom when she should be, you know, being and trapping herself. That's something that's... You know, you know, happens a lot into, you know, this is, I'm talking about in Maniac, the Shiram's like subway bathroom. There was just a lot of stuff that they couldn't get behind. Seemed cliche to them, seemed stupid. Uh, and part of the difference was when we watched it in Friday the 13th Part 6, it was tongue-in-cheek. It wasn't taking itself too seriously. Whereas Maniac takes itself so seriously. It's uncomfortable. That I think some of it makes them uncomfortable, but I also think it's so dated and so serious that the audience is not willing to forgive things that they now look at as being flaws or cliches. Like the blood's too red or yeah, you know, that or, kind of thing. Or, you know, or just stupid tropes that are yeah. in those kinds of movies that are now played to death, but at the time when it was made weren't played to death. Whereas Friday the 13th Part 6 totally is playing with it. It's, it's saying, like, look at it. You know, this is... You've seen this a million times. It's kind of ridiculous but it's great. And it kind of celebrates that aspect of it. And so uh, I had rewatched six at that time when Deanna had suggested that I show a scene from that. So, uh, so I'd actually seen this one a couple of times. I've never seen seven. And seven's great. Seven although, is a psychic. Although seven is 
when I was a kid on my block, I had a, not my next door neighbor, but a house. Up know, in Albany? Yeah, up in the Albany area. A couple of houses down, there was this kid named Mark. He was a year younger than me. And then there was this kid that lived around the block who had sisters our age. But he was a little bit older. He was in high school, maybe like a freshman in high school. And we were like in like fourth, fifth, sixth grade, something like that. So he was a few years older. And he was like awesome at Nintendo. Like he beat every game. And he got to a point where he would pause the game, come around the block we'd be playing basketball in one of our driveways and be like hey i'm about to beat bayou billy you want to come watch <laughs> he's that kid and so we would go to his house and in his basement was an was an unfinished basement but there was like a couple of chairs and like a, a sofa down there and above the tv was a poster which is the poster i sent you from california they had this exhibit in california called like slashback video or something like that where they made it was an it was like in the museum in the back of a store they made it look like a video store and hung up posters and yeah. had videos on racks and they had this how uh friday the 13th part 7 poster of jason without the mask on and it was a poster and this was hanging up over his this kid's TV in his basement yeah. as we would play video games down there and I was always mesmerized by that poster. Yeah, that's like me when I was little. My parents got me. I was big into Thriller growing up, Michael Jackson's album, and then I liked the song. So I got the the picture. I got three posters, like the picture of Michael like lying with the tiger. Yeah. Then I got the picture of him like from Billie Jean of On the Cubes. Sure, yeah, yeah. Then the third one I got was the picture of him surrounded by the zombies. My brother had that poster over his bed yeah. for some wow. reason. So I, I had that in my basement when my basement was back when it was unfinished. And I used to I put it up, but I'd be scared to go look at it yeah. when I was little. But I had it. So yeah, it, was we weird. Had, it was this weird. My fat, brother you know, had that poster in his bedroom. So it scared the shit out of me. But at the same time, I was I go look at it, you know, but then, you know, <laughs> so I don't I don't get it. Uh so Seven has a special place in my heart just because of that poster. That yeah, image, Seven's a great movie. Seven that image and 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 in research watching things of Seven, it looks awesome, and I definitely am going to try to check out. Seven. Yeah, and Seven introduces Kane Hutter to the series. Yeah, you know, everyone Kane knows. Is, you know, I, in my personal opinion, I think Jason looks his best physically. I mean, he's a rotting corpse when he comes out of the lake. He's you can see like his vertebrae. In seven. Yeah, he's he's really his mask comes off at the end of Seven, and there's a lot of good business. Like when he's pissed, you see him grind his teeth. Yeah, you know they got a they get to do a lot of cool stuff in Seven, and Seven's about a psychic who's got issues with her dad, and she's trying to wake her dad up, but she, unbeknownst again, she raises the dead, and she brings him up, and he starts killing people, and then she's got to send him back, and it's a new direction where let's have Jason fight a psychic, you know, as opposed like oh, like a fire starter kind yeah, of a yeah. dead zone kind of a thing, The Shining. So that's a new twist on it. Um, let's see. While this, so I didn't know until this, until doing research, I guess. The running gag with all the Friday the 13th movies is that they would have a fake title in oh, production yeah. so that people wouldn't be, so spoilers wouldn't get out to the trades like Fangoria or like Starlog or whatever that the new Jason. So they'd have, they'd have work titles. Yeah, apparently Frank Mancuso Jr. was a big David Bowie fan. So he'd name, I guess, every one of these movies after a David Bowie song. Or like a, or an album yeah. or a song. So this t this had the fake title, Aladdin Sane, which is a uh, David Bowie song, Aladdin, and then Sane. And then with the play on that, the David Bowie song is, if you say that quick enough, it's a lad insane because David Bowie grew up near a child who had... Uh, mental issues maybe he was on the autism spectrum so he they used to call him a lad insane and that came up with the name a lad insane so they named that this movie that was, i thought was really funny um 
This was shot down in Georgia, uh, outside of uh, a Atlanta. Lot of thing, a lot of things shoot in Georgia now. Yeah, we Made had in Georgia. We had Walking Dead shot in Georgia. Uh, Smoking Fam- the Bandit, Smoking Gen- Family Feud is shot in Georgia. <laughs> the new one with uh, with Steve Harvey. Yeah, that's shot down in I Georgia because so, it has like the. Made oh, I get you. At the end. Um, or at least it was for a while. I don't know if it still is. But. I mean, th- this thing here, this was the f- first of the series to be sh- to recorded in ultra stereo, which I don't really know what that means, but I'm sure that was awesome back then. Uh, and the whole RV bit was amazing. When I was little, that was like the creme de la creme. Like that was the high point of seeing this movie, the scene where he gets into the RV, they're driving away. Yeah. The kid's driving it like a maniac. He grabs the girl's head. Gets into the bathroom, pushes her head through. That was so iconic for me. Yeah, I was yeah. a little bit, well, it's just, you know. Yeah, it's, I mean, seeing what, that, it, it's just completely unrealistic, of course. Sure, but we're but in a Jason movie, but that's what the, yeah. uh, we're going. That's the direction we're going. I also think now you watch it now and you kind of think like comedically, like Jason like waiting in the bathroom yeah, with like, the Winnipeg. <laughs> A lot of that, he's just waiting around, like looking around. He's he almost like he's you know he's looking at like the the, the toothbrushes or you know whatever, and then he smells or he's checking out what's in the cabinets, and then he he th- takes the old Rambo knife, puts the kid in the side. That was going to be longer. A lot of these have a lot of uh, trims, and then they flip a freaking Winnebago over, and it's awesome. And then that I remember was like the trailer was him getting out on top of the Winnebago, and they said that was a very dangerous stunt. That was the last thing that they did for the shoot of the movie. Uh, because it was so dangerous and they can only wreck one RV and it was dangerous for the for CJ that the guy was playing uh, Jason to do and he gets out and then he gets on top of it and it's very iconic and that used to be like when you'd see on TV I remember that was like the, the tra- yeah, end yeah. of the trailer well it's a powerful you know, image yeah and um Let's see what else. Uh, and there's like a lot of other things. Like they had to cut out. Like he completely breaks the, the sheriff's back, and you see a little more that him screaming. That's a little yeah. or the uh, the African American girl. Like he twists her head around, but there was more of a problem of him getting the head off of her, like the skin, and he rips it off. Which since you brought up the African American girl, played by uh, Renee Jones. Yeah. Uh, to throw in the obligatory. Uh, 21 Jump Street reference. Uh, as you do, we have she to. She is an, an iconic two-parter of 21 is Jump she? Street. It sounds like she's a drug addict. She plays, a, drug plays a junkie. Ah, yeah. <laughs> That's funny. But uh, uh, she's not one of the leads, but she's kind of like the Judy Hoffs, uh, you know, Holly Robinson B story, I think, is, is her is her storyline. So uh, we have a 21 Jump Street alum. Yeah. Uh, and there's just a lot, a lot of little... Um, they had to cut down a lot of the extra deaths, like at the end with the propeller to the face and Jason. They, there's more of his neck getting all messed up, but they had to cut the gore out there. They shot that in what's his face is McLaughlin's father's pool, and they they ruined the filter. They said because he uh, all the blood and gore got stuck in the trapped in the filter, and they but the father was happy to say he a Hollywood movie was shot in his. So they shot the exterior stuff at the lake, then the underwater stuff where you see Jason was shot in a tank in L.A. and then the the, the close-ups of the propeller to his face were shot in the pool. Um, like we said, this has a great soundtrack. And uh, in 2012, La La Land Records released a six-disc box set of all of Manfredini's score from one through six. And it sold out in less than 24 hours. And that's a huge omnibus. Like yeah, They did that yeah. with Star Star Trek, I think they released for the movies. They did that. Sure. And they realized they can do that for a lot of stuff when they, you know. Yeah. And, you know. The, and uh, Waxwork Records has been slowly putting out the Manfredini uh, catalog, especially the Friday the 13th. They put out great editions of the first one, the second one, really cool two-record edition of the third one. Um, I think there's 
I think the fourth one might be coming out soon, but so they'll they'll probably get to f- number six at some point. Yeah, on on vinyl. And we talked about that this supposedly was the influence of Scream, and then uh, what's his face? McLaughlin took the headstone. Evidently, it's still in his backyard. He has Jason's headstone. He says it scares people. Like some guy w- was going to go check the meter and didn't want to go in the backyard because the guy thought he actually had like somebody buried in the backyard. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and yeah, you know, it's just it it it's really. To me, it's like the height. It's eighty six. You know, you have we talked about like with Commando the year before Arnold Schwarzenegger's movie. Like that is to me like the height of an eighties action movie. You know, you're throwing everything in, and this is kind of like this. It's like you have you're, you're, everything's you're pulling out all the stops. You have, yeah. you have you have car chases. You have cars slipping over. You have shootouts. You have, you have one, but not, but maybe you could argue two connections to Welcome Back, Carter. You got Horshack and John Travolta's nephew. Yeah, you have that connection. Um, I'm sure there's other all these other six ways from Sunday's connections we can come up with. Uh, and it's I like it. I like it as an installment, and that's probably why it's one of my favorites. And then you know, I, like I said, I have the the statue of it, and uh, you know, it like you said, it was released August the first, 1986, and uh, it didn't really do too well. It was the first of the series that didn't rate number one opening weekend and i wonder if people were skeptical because of what happened the old uh you know the the, the fast one that was pulled on them in in part yeah. five that people and then it, were ended up catching some steam and making what like 19 million yeah it, made, it ended up making a good amount of money and you know it was but and it, it did take a while um i mean also, you got alice I, cooper's video I, I and think that's up cool then was also maybe the most critically acclaimed one like yeah critics pe- seem to like cri- criti- like critics are saying like you know at, this is a terrible series but this is the most bearable of the terrible series Siskel and Ebert had like a huge campaign they hated these movies they they like went to bat to try to especially for four uh, Ebert Roger Ebert had like a letter writing campaign he was asking his readers or people to, that watch the show to write to, to Paramount to, to stop this series because in their in their minds, I, I would I would wonder what they thought of torture porn now, but in their minds, this was complete, yeah, terrible. This is this is not what you Drek. want, yeah. And so, you know, when they would then review these movies, and they would, you know, they, they, they sometimes they're like, we didn't even see it, and it was it was total bullshit. You know, they were really really, and I think this is the yeah, I think Gene Sisko said this is the least offensive of the most offensive film series this particular type this particular and also shortly after this we get friday the 13th the series which is a podcast and into onto itself (laughs) onto itself but interesting just since we're who knows when we'll get back to jason or when we'll eventually maybe do some friday the 13th the series you know as a kid and i might have i might have pointed this out on a previous podcast who knows what episode um but just to kind of Real quick, as a kid, at least I was like I. You needed to make connections. Like to me, when Star Trek: The Next Generation come out, I'd be like, "Is Worf supposed to be the Spock, or is Data supposed to be the Spock?" And my brother was like, "I don't think either either one of us supposed to be the Spock. It's a whole new thing." Yeah, <laughs> wake up, kid. Oh, <laughs> but I was like a very curious kid, and I was had to make correlations to things. Of course, I think you you subconsciously do that. Yeah, and even like when I was a kid, and uh, it's so stupid now, but it's kind of funny in a cute kitty way. You know, you had chapstick and chapstick. You had cherry chapstick. You had strawberry chapstick. But then you had original, and it was like. I'm as a kid, I'm like, what the hell flavor is original? Yeah. So it was like, uh, but it was like peachy, like fleshy color. So in my head, I always called it 
chicken flavored chapstick. Okay. Because it looked kind of like Purdue chicken. It kind of looked like chicken. (laughs) So, yeah, chicken flavored chapstick. Uh, To this day, there are people that that I've told that to, and it's kind of an inside joke. Uh, But for me, Friday the 13th, the series, basically, Paramount Studios was like, we're having success with Star Trek The Next Generation on TV. Uh, What other franchises do we own? That we, can that we could put on Fox or put in the syndication and make some money off of. And what year did uh, Freddy's Nightmares come about? I don't know. It was around the same time. Because McLaughlin directed an episode of Freddy's Nightmares, he said. Yeah. And that, that's before we leave McLaughlin. That's an interesting, too, that he was a kind of guy that didn't get pigeonholed. He would work. He would jump genres. And that, he says, in retrospect, got him harder to get work. Yeah. Because he would jump around he genres. He really known for anything. Yeah. And but at the same time he'd do like uh, what do you call those women's movies on Lifetime? He loved them. He'd do like yeah, coming yeah. to age movies. He did comedies. He did suspense. He did thrillers, action movies. He did this movie. Uh, so, but Friday the Thirteenth for everybody that ha- doesn't know, the it series. was about the the series. So like, let's do Friday the Thirteenth the series. They go to Frank Mancusa Jr. Frank Mancusa Jr. is like, I don't think we can do. Adjacent series, but we can use the title, yeah, and we'll do something more. I mean, like the series was all about making money. As soon yeah, as yeah. I, it would come out on a Friday and Monday, they greenlit a, a sequel. It's all commerce, yeah, you know. So it was like, okay, we'll use the series, we'll use the title, but we'll do a different kind of series, uh, and it'll be more like what I would like, which is like kind of a anthology, yeah. Our anthology. So the idea is that there's this antique store that has these cursed items, yeah, and they get sold off. And then, but they're cursed. So the people who, the descendants of the people that own the antique shop, have to now travel around the country and get them back. and try to get all these cursed items back to put them back, so that the evil doesn't whatever. But as a kid, I was like, "Where's the fuck's Jason?" So in my head, as a kid, yeah, all these items were justified. By... Were were Jason's items? Yeah, that somehow got out there. So they were all searching for shit that Jason owned, even though he was like a eight year old. Yeah, and he had all antiques. Maybe his mother was an antique lover. No. So in my head, it was all about. Well, that, that works because I remember the same thing. I was like, "Where's Jason in the series?" And you quickly realize that Jason isn't in the series. They're only using the title, which is a bit of a bait and switch. But but here apparently it was a good series. Yeah, it was a, it was a lot of fun, and yeah. uh, they had a lot of great people. Like, David Cronenberg directed an episode because they shot it up in Canada. And it's funny for me because I only remember the series being on Saturday afternoons, so that means it was in syndication, but still it scared the shit out of me. I remember a couple episodes that were like frightening even on a Saturday afternoon. Yeah, it was a pretty eerie, kind of scary show. Like gory. I mean, I mean, I know it's available. And apparently, on v- like DVD everywhere, now. everywhere else but here, it was called Friday's Curse. Oh. But here, it was called Friday the Thirteenth. Uh, one other thing be- that I would, uh, I think, is interesting to kind of uh, touch on. We talked about uh, the alternate ending, ending with uh, Elias Voorhees, and I had said that I'm not sure that he's called Elias Voorhees. But the name Elias Voorhees does come up, and Jason goes to hell in like a newscast. But uh, Elias Voorhees lives in the many top movie tie-ins of, uh, which I didn't even realize really existed for Friday the Thirteenth. So there was a, a comic book series called Jason versus Leatherface, mm-hmm. and there's flashbacks to uh, an abusive Elias Voorhees. In that, so we see we get Elias Voorhees there. Then there's another comic book series called like Friday the Thirteenth Pamela's Tale, mm-hmm. which they changed it a little bit uh, of what Elias Voorhees was like in the Jason versus Leatherface uh, series. Is Pamela the because Pamela's the, the is the mother? Okay, because Pamela's also the name of the act or the character in five that was supposed to come back for six. Uh, no, I think yeah. I think it's referring to the mom, the Bet- mom Betsy Palmer. Yeah. But, uh, 
And uh, so we skipped more instances of uh, Jason backstory as there. a kid, an abusive father and stuff. And so we get to see a little more of Elias for he's there. And then uh, there's a novel, not a Jason X novelization, which there might be, but there's like a, I guess a series. So there's a Jason X uh, which is the space in episode, yeah. <laughs> as I call it, Jason. So is this space. was this done in, in, in uh, coinciding? With, I would imagine. Or was this done after five, after Jason goes to hell before they had the idea for six? I think it's. And they thought the name of X before that. No, I think it has to do with Jason X, the Coming movie, out. the space movie. But apparently, there's a there's one there called Death Moon, Jason X Death Moon. It's a book, it's a novel, and. Uh, there, it talks about Elias Voorhees fighting the Necronomicon. Wow. Which I guess in Jason Goes to Hell... Yeah, he's got a book he's got to there's a Necronomicon. There's a book of the they, dead. Because they got to try to send him back to hell. There's a there's the Necronomicon is in that. So there's this... And Freddy makes an appearance in that. Well. There's a hand. Yeah, comes exactly. <laughs> uh, which then leads to the comic book series, uh, Freddy versus Jason versus yeah. Ash. Eventually, like many years later, uh, after Freddy vs. Jason the movie, even I think, um, or maybe around the same time. Uh, so in this novel, Elias Voorhees finds the Necronomicon, the Book of the Dead, which is a cursed book, and ends up like cursing the soul, putting an evil curse onto Jason, and that's oh. how Jason gets to be evil in that book. It's interesting. That's, see, this is all stuff people wouldn't know if you're. But if like, maybe if you're a hardcore Jason fan, yeah, you and know you that. Watch and you read all these other things. Yeah. And there was talk of Elias Voorhees being in the new reboot that I guess has since. There was a lot of talk of they're going to do a new Jason. Maybe they'll do it as like a found footage or. Like, I remember that. Yeah. Or like you know one of those kinds of movies like a Blair Witch. Different from the thing. 2009 reboot they did. Yeah, trying to do uh, like a paranormal, paranormal activity type thing, and then there was all these talks about trying to reboot the series again. And at one point, they were talking about having Pamela and Elias Voorhees being in the in the remake. But I haven't heard anything about that re- that reboot. I in haven't. A long time. Yeah, since they said it was going to be a found footage thing, I haven't really heard anything on it. Um, that'd be interesting. There was one point where they were really trying to find it, and I was like, "Fuck, let's write a Friday the Thirteenth movie." Yeah, let's do it. <laughs> send it right in. See, so even if they're not taking submissions, we'll, we'll send it anyway. Uh, this film also had a great teaser trailer. That, that you know, if you were in the theater and you didn't know what it was, and, it, and so maybe we can include that as a link in the post because it's very cool. People are like, "Holy shit!" A new Jason movie's coming out. And um, I think, lastly, this might be the first example. I was thinking when we were watching this tonight when. The movie ends, and then we were had to crawl into this crawl space to get mm-hmm. this done. That I said to myself that this might be an example of something I'm ready to watch right again. Like if you said, "Hey, let's hit Sorry. play," <laughs> they went to the menu and hit rewind play. the tape. And yeah, I, I would be able to it, throw to, it in the VHS yeah, rewinder. This might be over. one of the rare examples. Maybe with something like Smoking the Bandit, like this would be an example of something I'd be ready to watch right after. That's how much fun. How many this memories? Would, I'd say this you know, is probably the. Mo- I, like I said, I don't know the series as well. There's a few. There's seven I don't think I've seen all of. I mean, I don't think I've seen it all. There's a few I've only seen. Uh, I haven't seen it in their entirety. But to me, this is definitely the most fun. And that has to do with this kind of tongue-in-cheek meta yeah. thing going on. And it's a fine line because it, it's not stupid. It doesn't become silly to the point where... I mean, it is silly, but it's to the point where it's like, oh, this is cheesy. And the it, thing you know, that gets confusing with Jason Goes to Hell 
is that the guy from who's the lead in Friday the Thirteenth the series is in is in, <laughs> is the lead in Jason is yeah he so it's and I don't very think he's confusing but as a kid I never know by the time that came out we it was were, it we was, were teenagers and but, I think the show was out of yeah but it was well like, young hey. we were like thirteen or fourteen. When that came uh, out, and because uh, I remember seeing that at my dad's on cable, like on pay, like pay per view, yeah. And then, uh, but also another Twenty One Jump Street, the the guy that plays Adam Fuller, Captain Fuller in Twenty One Jump Street, the black captain on an episode of MacGyver. He's on an episode of MacGyver. Episode. And he's in Jason Goes to Hell. He he dies in the middle. It's really heartbreaking. It's MacGyver's old friend dies in the middle of it. MacGyver's like, no, black guy from uh, Twenty One Jump Street. No. <laughs> Uh, so what else do we have? Anything else? Uh, yeah, so this is this was a really cool walk down memory lane of Friday the 13th on Friday the 13th. Uh, and it's it to me, it still holds up. It's a good movie, it's fun, you know. It was fun. I'm you glad know? we finally got around to doing a Friday the 13th movie. I'm glad that this is the one we did because this is kind of perfect 86 87 yeah. 88 this was the the, era, the beginning of the era of sleepover movies which we talked about last week yeah and it with the it, gate for us and i think oh that's the other thing too remember it, it, when so when he's tommy jarvis is trying to kill jason you have him he runs to like the library or like breaks into a bookstore and he has all those occultism books and he's yeah, looking yeah. and back to like that idea of what we said in the gate last week of like you know occultism was big <laughs> at the time yeah, so yeah. we're trying to figure out ways to you know this and, and then i guess he he must read those books to realize what he has to do to, uh, you know, trap him down at the bottom yeah, well, of the lake. Yeah, the, there's Tom McLaughlin ones that create rules. Yeah, you need rules that you need to, 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 to do. Taking a little bit from this, a little bit from vampire lore, obviously a big heavy influence on the Frankenstein stuff yeah. in the beginning. I mean, it's, and it's, it's a great way to kick open the movie. I mean, once you can believe, if you can get past that he's getting shocked to life by a, a, a bolt of electricity, after that you can do anything you want really with him. Yeah, you know, and it's fun. Even like even the you know the 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 paintball stuff. I mean, it's silly at the time, but it's funny to have Jason. I mean, paintball is huge, and now it's its own cottage industry. Yeah, it's its own thing. You know, back, back then, then it's funny. It was still kind of blossoming, so it's funny to see Jason. And like you know, they they have to put dead on there. You know, they have to put the bandanas on, and then like, uh, and then the, um, or headbands. And then like you know, like one guy who's a misogynist, like the fucking woman's are staying this fucking. And where he gets the <laughs> where he gets the machete from. So it's all very yeah. funny. And Jason trying to make sense out of the world, like you know, he's like, what the fuck? Or you know, he gets shot, he looks down, or you know, he, he throws the guy and he rips the guy's head off, arm off, and the guy puts a happy. You know, it's all. Very silly. So it, it, it is making fun of itself, but it's in a way that it's not kind of too demeaning. And uh, it worked, and it gave, what, another four or five films, you know, after that. So, um, you know, and it's a good example of the whole series, in my opinion, just because. Did you like you the know, remake? Uh, no. The one from 89, uh, 2009? Yeah, yeah. No, because to me, you, it wasn't a Friday the 13th movie. You could have took Jason Dang out right. and put Leatherface in. You could have put Michael Myers. It wasn't. They were around the lake, and you and and the and the characters in it were horrible. Yeah, like there's a scene where the one guy's like cheating on his girlfriend by having sex with another girl, and then the, the girlfriend's like knocking on the door, like "Are you in there?" And he's like, "No," and he's like fucking the girl, and it's like they were like oh, you were, and then Jason, you know, he's able to like he he must have went to like night school or you know because he has he you know he's wired his whole underground cavern with <laughs> you know, like electricity. Yeah, he's a he's a tradesman, so he's an electrician, so he's able to like what about tap off power. Freddy versus Jason. Yeah, that was fun. You know, that's that. I like the I, the bits of him going into like Jason's head, and that was fun. Or them apparently, C.J. Graham you know? was talked about maybe coming back to do Jason in that because for some reason they didn't want Kane Hodder, the Japanese director who did that. 
they were gonna Cunningham saying that they were they were it was gonna be a, uh, like it was gonna be not whatever or given that they'd bring Kane Hutter back but then yeah. the Japanese guy saw some other I think he was a Japanese actor a big guy and he liked him better yeah and since was... he was directing his, his story Sean Cunningham was just producing he's like fine it's your at the end of the day it's your call yeah yeah but there was talk of uh like CJ. somehow Connor uh Kane Hunter didn't get it what's not going to be and they were going to hold like casting for it and uh CJ Graham's agent was like you should go in cuz everybody liked his portrayal of it um but he said by that point he was pretty good friends with Kane Hunter and he said I feel like Kane Hunter got really dicked over yeah. So I don't want to go in for But it. he's come back to do the stuff for all the... Has that game come out that we've talked Potter about? Potter did the game, yeah. He did all the, the that, rotoscoping. The game's or, out, but there's another... Like a game. Like the game's coming out again for like a different system. Because Manfredini... Did and you the, can explore the world, right, in this game? It's yeah, like It's yeah. almost like a like a Grand Theft Auto kind of a and thing. And you can beat Jason every like fifth time yeah. that you play because everybody just wants to be Jason. Yeah, who wants to just... Everyone wants to be but a you can killer. choose like which Jason from which movie you want to be. That's pretty cool. And apparently Manfredini scores great in it. And Manfredini talks a lot about... Harry talks a lot about what goes into scoring the game in the book. But I, I, In your I, book. In my book, yeah. Scored to Death, Conversations with Some of Power's Greatest Composers. And a couple of weeks ago when I was at lunch with Harry, I was like, what are you up to now? He's like, I'm still working on the game. I was like, I thought that shit's out already. He's like, well, they're releasing like a single player version for like the, the consoles. Yeah. Where it's not, you're not playing with everybody else, but I guess you can just fucking be Jason. <laughs> uh, yeah. He's like, so now that's, it's because of that, it's a different piece. So I'm writing more music for it. So he's been working on that game for music for that game for like years. It wasn't, I mean, wasn't Savini part of it? It was a Kickstarter. It was a whole well, big story. Well, originally it was going to be this thing called like, uh, they were going to do these different worlds. It was going to be this online thing. And the first one was going to be like chapter one, like camp, summer camp. And it was going to be like slasher of the game. Uh, and then Sean Cunningham and Frank Mancuso were like, well, let's do a fucking Friday the 13th game. And they were like, well, these other people are already fucking doing it. You know, why don't we just license them? License them, Jason. They were already doing like a ripoff Friday the 13th game that had Savini and Kane Hodder and Harry Manfredini all attached to it. So, like, let's just give them Jason. And then it became the burning it became Friday the 13th of the game yeah and yeah and that's supposed to be really popular i mean it's it's just it's that's that's very interesting that that you know it still has this life of its own and it's still doing stuff and you know we've seen kane hotter before and and it's uh, and if you go on youtube which is really weird you're talking about the different jasons there's people who are like cosplayers yeah that like in their backyard they're dressed up and they they look identically like every Jason from every well, we movie. We saw two Jasons at Monster Mania. Yeah, and scared the crap out of me. And you I took a, a picture. <laughs> and I will include it in the post here of the two Jasons it's, together taking a picture. Two Jasons going coming, head to head. They come head to head. and then Right they, in front of our table Yeah, almost. and then we had a Jason. We went to the bar that night. We talk about it in our, in our, our uh, special that we did when we uh, had Wilford Brimley and uh, Martin Cove come sleep over. Uh, that like Kane Hodder's at the bar drinking and Jason, a cosplayer's dressed up as Jason. And it's like, that's weird to have Kane Hodder not dressed up as Jason. Go look at the Jason. Jason's acting like Jason. But it's funny. You see these people like in the backyard in LA and, you know, somebody's recording them and they, you know, and they have like a tight little backyard and like with a little picket fence. And it looks like from Home Improvement where the guy can look over <laughs> and you have some dude dressed up as Jason. Like, what's, what's the uh, Voorhees boy Wilson's doing? Yeah. On the other side of the what's the Johnson boy doing today? And he's dressed up like with a machete. And then like, you know, and then he's going changing, coming back out as a different Jason. But, you know, there's a there's a, a cosplay, you know, where they're LARPing every Jason's look. Yeah, so it's, yeah. you can if you go search that on YouTube, you can find people who look 
amazing to think that they're just cosplay players. But um, that's going to wrap it up for this week's edition of our 2017 October Saturday Night Movie Sleepovers <laughs> Horror Extravaganza. A special Friday the 13th. A special Friday the 13th Platinum Double Disc Edition. This was a two-disc box set here. Uh, we'll release audio commentary, maybe deleted scenes, too, from this edition of us down in Blake's summer, mom's summer houses. Well, I don't space. know. I don't know when it'll be some time from now because there's just too many great movies to do. But I imagine we'll probably revisit this series at some point. Oh, of course, of course. Uh, you know, uh, and we've done this means we've already. Uh, so we did Halloween. We covered earlier this year, uh, Freddy, and this is now we're getting Jason. So, so now we've covered the, the trifecta. Now we got to do like uh, freaking Child's Play and uh, um, what other other sub Leatherface, Leatherface, do Texas and some of the other ones, and I don't know what other. Phantasm, the tall man, Hellraiser, boy, the Hellraiser's pinhead, yeah, yeah, in Christ, it was it, and Jesus wept. So, um, we'll see you next week with another great one. Um, going way down the alley, going way down the alley, and as we always like to say, Blake, what's wrong with that mule? I'm <laughs> broke down, yeah, I'm broke down. See you next week, everybody. Later. I cared to the meal and had to bring it right back. What's the matter with the meal? John broke down. What's the matter with the meal? John broke down. I can't get no grinding. Tell me what's the matter with the meal. Some people said that a preacher won't steal. I cut one down in my cornfield. What's the matter with the meal? John broke down. What's the matter with the meal? John broke down. I can't get no grinding. Tell me what's the matter with the meal.
son has a comb field round his neck. What's the matter with the meal? Done broke down. What's wrong with this meal? Done broke down. I can't get no grinding. Tell me what's the matter with the meal? Some boys down in my cornfield. What's the matter with me? Done broke down. What's the matter with this mill? Done broke down. I can't get no grinding. Tell me what's the matter with the mill. 